This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning to you. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach. Your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the latest, greatest research information that you need to be able to lead your family, live a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Happy Confederate Memorial Day. Well, thank you. Yeah. I didn't know there was a Confederate Memorial Day. Happy happy Confederate Memorial Day to you too, Terry. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know you were going to go there. Well, you know. It's just something. It's a day. You know it's why else it's special? Why? It's somebody's birthday. Whose? Really, Babs? Is it Babs' birthday? 75. Wow, she sings like she's 73. Well, this is an old recording. <laughs> 1973. Ah, oh, Babs. What do you do? I haven't heard much from her. She's kind of just a little more political than she is singing. Is she singing anymore? I think so. Oh, well, I could just listen to this all morning. Okay. That can be arranged. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, we probably need to move on um, because it is, uh, you know, it's time that we start looking at Donald Trump, President Trump's first 100 days in office. He made a big deal, as every politician does, that the first 100 days, he's going to kill it. By the way, we have uh, a soundtrack for President Trump's first 100 days. Oh, do we? Oh. It sounded like the birthday soundtrack. Very, Don't you very think this similar. is very fitting? Well, because the first 100 days are memories now? Is that what you mean? Okay. I have a feeling this is going to be a big soundtrack today on pretty much everything we talk about. First hundred days. Hmm. Um, Officially, when is his first hundred days up? Saturday. So he's in the final week, but he's got a lot to push on. And, of course, because it's politics and it's Monday morning, that means we bring in our Washington insider Joe in the know. Joe Cannon will be joining us to uh, hopefully, you know, help us understand – what what? How did the first hundred days? How do how do they look like they're going? Does it matter? A lot of people think, yeah. Does it even matter at all? Why does anyone care about the first hundred days? It really should be the last hundred days. Everyone should worry about probably. You know, because that when are those last hundred days? Are they in two hundred days from now? Right. And historically, <laughs> the two presidents who were most productive were coming off like huge financial crashes of the nation's economy. Yeah. And everyone was like, yeah, we need to fix this. And so, you know, everyone's kind of like-minded in their goals and they move forward. Every other president, I mean, you know, they have to – it depends. Do you have – is the House and – is Congress on your side? Is the House and Senate working with you? Are they against you? Yeah. I mean, apparently this is common to take a two-week Easter recess right before your 100 days. I mean, they've been just sitting around spinning their wheels. Yeah, how do you get anything done when Congress has vacationed 20 of the – your 100 days. Yeah. This president is coming off of, uh, you know, his victory came off of a personal financial crash. What do you mean? Well, I don't think his finances are what he says they are. Really? Apparently. 
Well, how do we know? We've never seen any taxes. But who cares? You know what I mean? He has an airplane with his name on it. Yeah. And what? a helicopter. And uh, many of them, like two or three, right? So, yeah. And, and now a hotel. he's got yeah, and a hotel. I mean, he's everywhere. A steak, oh. or two, yummy, yummy. We will be getting to all of that. Uh, Trump's first hundred days, as well as the Bill O'Reilly. What's that going to do to the media with Joe Cannon? Joe Cannon was an, an editor for uh, a major newspaper. Um, well, uh, and one of the things I guess Joe will be able to give us insight on is what happens when Bill O'Reilly's gone. What vacuum does that create? I guess Tucker Carlson steps in. But he's going to do his show. Yeah. It's not like he's, he's going to take over. Well. And so then, then the question is, does he retain the audience? And then does Fox News change maybe a tenor of how they do it? Well, and Bill O'Reilly is still you know. podcasting, apparently. He's always done that podcast. So he's going to have his own podcast, and will that just – will well, everyone go there? He has a four-minute kind of – I recap the week or give a preview that whatever it is, but it's four minutes long. So the question is, will he do 10 <clears throat> or will he just, I wonder what his contract says. Can he go to radio? Yeah. Will he become the new Rush Limbaugh? No, I mean, <laughs> he used to have a radio show. I know. Will he go back to that? I don't know if it was that successful. Yeah. We'll have to see. Cause it was on the Fox radio network. Crazy times. Yeah. We'll get to all of that fun. Of course, Plus, uh, Bouse in the house will be doing a little mind bender for you at the end of the hour. But before we get to all that excitement, let's turn now to Terry South, find out what's going on in the headlines around the country. Terry, what's up? When President Trump told the AP that he announces he will announce a massive tax cut for both individuals and corporations, he, he made that announcement Friday as everyone was heading out the door. He surprised Capitol Hill and left his own Treasury officials speechless. This out of the New York Times. Trump vows to unveil his tax plan Wednesday or shortly thereafter. Puts the announcement just after Congress returns from a two-week Easter break and just ahead of his Friday deadline for avoiding a government shutdown and Saturday's 100-day mark for his presidency. Despite reporting about House action on health reform next week, this week they're talking about let's bring that back and see if we can try, try to reform. decide what, that. I mean, how hard could that be? A Republican lobbyist told uh, the Axios news site there's a zero chance to pull that off in the same time that you're negotiating a continuing resolution to avoid a government shutdown. You'd have to a better chance of repealing the laws of physics, he says. The real time would be more like health care passes the House by the end of May, health care passes by the Senate by the end of July, and tax reform on the president's desk by the end of the year. Well, how, so hard, measured. how hard is it to repeal the law of physics if nobody believes in science anymore? Which is why science scientists are marching all over <laughs> the right. globe, right? So I don't know. President Trump, in a bit of counter-programming, announced a massive rally in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 7.30 Saturday night. Woo! Right in the middle of the White House Correspondents Association dinner that he and his staff were boycotting. So a lot of them are going to have to go cover that. So, well, that, that'd be the question is, do we get a split screen? <laughs> Do we get President Trump on one side and the yeah. correspondence Split center? It. Not sure. Saturday's also uh, Trump's 100-day mark, which the rally will be celebrating. And although he dismisses it on Twitter as the ridiculous standard of the first 100 days, the White House says it's launching a website dedicated to the first 100 days. We'll also be producing graphics, videos, and other digital content for the president's massive online following to share. Wow. So there'll be a lot of stuff surrounding the first 100 days. Sounds exciting. We're going to get paid one way or the other, Attorney General Jeff Sessions said of President Trump's proposed border wall while speaking with ABC Sunday. After raising the issue, Stephanopoulos asked if Sessions has any evidence Mexico will fund construction. 
As Trump repeatedly promised on the campaign trail, Sessions concedes that he does not expect the government of Mexico to appropriate money, but maintain the United States has other options to get money from Mexicans. We could deal with our trade situation to create the revenue, he suggested. He also pointed to a uh, tax anomaly that many people have said doesn't exactly exist. So hmm. we'll have to see where they go with that. And finally, Christine Calkins. Who? She's from Sacramento. She's an old lady. She was 86 years old. Lived she... a long life and she died. Oh, okay. Her obituary, she was surrounded by her family when she died. Born on, and this is from her obituary. On a hot August day at home in 1930, the last of 12 children, her life has been nothing but unique, beautiful, and interesting. Christine was credited for giving the idea to Neil Armstrong, one small step for man, and personally thwarting World War III by uh, baking baklava for J- JFK and Khrushchev. Wow, that's some dessert. good baklava. It was rumored that she took a bullet for Nixon, but she wouldn't admit to anything because he's a Republican. She <laughs> traveled the world, collected Chinese and Egyptian uh, tchotchkes, loved or- orchids, kept batteries in the freezer, and was obsessed with her Western movies. <laughs> Regardless of the life she led, she dropped everything to help her family. She loved her grandchildren more than anything else in the world. She always said that she was going to go out with a bang, and we believe it was going to be due to her saving animals from poachers on the Serengeti Plains. However, in the end, the stubborn old gal, old gal was uh, not a match for a couple days of pneumonia. Oh. Whether you knew her or not, she's the world's most interesting woman is going to be missed, and the world is a little duller because of it. Christine requested the six players from the Sacramento Kings be her pallbearer so she could be let down one last time. <laughs> She's awesome. She's incredible. Wow. That's apparently, a great obit. Apparently lived in Sacramento. Loved the basketball team. So she could be let down one more time. Did well, luckily they're available. They yes. They got nothing but time. <laughs> they're all free. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. Um, you guys interested in starting a business or do you want to own a business? Mm, I don't know. I got an idea. It depends on the new tax plan coming out Wednesday. I want to own a used car lot and oh, sell you a car. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare. I've got a deal for you, Matt. Oh, jeez. Hey, uh, Jimmy Choo, the shoe company, is now on sale. Oh, nice. If you guys want to buy a shoe company, mm-hmm. now's your chance. I've been looking into selling extremely uncomfortable shoes to women who think they need them. Yeah, yeah. with, like, deformed feet. Absolutely. Do they come with pennies in them? Like loafers? Yeah. No. Mm. But it will just cost you pennies because um, shares of the of Jimmy Choo's company have been on a bumpy ride since the company's initial IPO in 2014. Mm. They um, so here's the deal. I think if we bought it and then we advertise aggressively, we could sell those uncomfortable shoes for a lot to a lot of people mm. and make pennies on the dollar. Like my car. Would you keep the company public or would you take it private? I'd have to. I don't know. I have to think that through. I'd probably go private again because then we can do anything we want yeah, with if the you're, shoes. Yeah, if you're public, then people start meddling. Yeah, everybody gets involved. Do we get free shoes ourselves? Sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Choo, apparently it's worth about $1,000. Th- what? The whole company? Yeah. Why? Say that again? Listen to this. Well, because they've been struggling. It's been, it's been, it's, it's so, which probably means it's got a ton of debt. Right. So. Okay. But it's a huge investment. I mean, you, there's a lot you could do, right? The company's largest shareholder, Jab Holding, owns 68% stake in the firm. Jab also has large investments in other luxury fashion brands, including French perfume maker Cody. Jimmy Choo says Jab is supportive of the sale process. Jimmy Choo is hugely popular among female um, fashionistas. The, ir- the irony of the whole thing 
um, is, yeah, the, yeah. The, listen to this. The shares of the company hit, in their initial IPO hit a record low in June 2016 in less than one doll, one pound per share. Wow. In trouble. Yeah. So they need help. And I think we've got the talent here. You know what I mean? You guys aren't we, interested. We, we know a lot about shoes. No, we don't need to know about shoes. Well, Matt, oh. you know a bargain when you see one. Yeah, I do. <clears throat> I totally do. I bought a new car. But it's not the car I was thinking I was going to buy for six months. Or actually, for six months, it's not the car I thought I was going to buy for a year. More. Because I, I wanted one car for six months and another car for another six months. Yeah. And I bought a third car that was never even in the race. <laughs> you walk in and here's the car I never even spoke about for the last year. Well, can Great. we see this shoe? Do you have a picture of the shoe? Of my shoe or my I car? I need to know what I'm getting into. Well, the shoes Both literally. This is what's and... crazy about it. The shoes can cost up to a thousand dollars a pair. So but the company's not doing so well. So one pair of shoes is worth about as much as the company. So would you lower the prices? No. You just have to get better partners that can get the shoes out there where we could sell them. It's a very simple process. Okay. Well. What about like a used shoe lot? What do I need to do to get you in a pair of these shoes today? <laughs> well, you're going to need a shoehorn, that's for sure. <laughs> and you're going to have to do something with that dangling toe that just always is, has a mind of its own. I guess we're not going to buy the Jimmy, Jimmy Choo Shoe Company. Plus, it's hard to say. But don't you think you play little babs, have people wearing the shoes, you put together a great infomercial, we put it on at night, Jimmy Choo, shoes for you. I'm not telling you. It's business, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be joining us. We're talking politics up next. Stick with us. Scattered pictures of the smiles we left behind. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show Hey, because it's uh, Monday, we like to talk politics, and who better to help us with that than Joe Cannon. Joe in the know, we call him. He really is, uh, he's very, he's, he's just, he understands politics. Joe was chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day. He was also a candidate for Senate, served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency during the Reagan era, and was also named the editor of the Deseret News um, and is the CEO currently of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower the cost of fuel for the rest of us here in the United States. Today, Joe, uh, we welcome you to the show. Thanks for coming back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Happy first 100 days of Trump administration. Yeah, that's right. We like to celebrate. We celebrate every little holiday here. Now, one of the things um, that uh, – so he's got one more week to make up his 100 days. And, Joe, honestly, does it matter – this first 100 days thing, does it really matter? I mean, we talk – everyone's talking about it this week. He made a big deal about what he'd do in his first 100 days, but he's got he's got a lot of time. Right. Well, uh let me just start by saying this first hundred days to many people, including myself, seems like a thousand days. Oh, it does, doesn't it's exhausting. it? I mean, I, I can't remember a, a time period, you know, where the, in, in what, you know, one of these hundred day periods following the election of a new president that has been as exhausting. And uh, so we'll, we'll 
you know, we'll come back maybe and talk about some of those things. But every president since Franklin Roosevelt has had, I'm going to call it FDR envy. Mm. Uh, they've, they've all, because all the commentators do exactly what we're doing. They talk about the first hundred days. And, and so yeah. um, the, the, uh, Ro- Roosevelt was astonishing. It was, I mean, he was literally astonishing. You know, he passed, uh, he, first of all, he, on one day, uh, swore in his entire cabinet. Oh, boy. He signed into law. Okay, he didn't propose bills. He signed into law 76 bills. In his first 100 days, signed in into law. Days, yeah. Yeah. Has, has Donald then, Trump signed into law anything? I mean, because the Congress, uh, they're, not even, yeah. they're not even on the same page, and they haven't even been there for 20 of his first 100 days. Well, and then, and then also just to finish on Roosevelt, he, he laid out his whole new deal. Oh, wow. So now, but when you say this, you, you had exactly the reaction and why everybody is, has so much, every new president has such, such anxiety because they're all compared to that. And no one will ever do that. It's not, it's, well, I guess we've all been surprised, but uh, it's very hard to think of the set of circumstances that would uh, line up for Roosevelt. First of all, he had an entirely united Congress, mostly out of fear because the guy just annihilated. Mm. You know, he was the first Democrat, first Democrat elected since uh, oh, maybe six, no, not even 16, or since, since uh, Woodrow Wilson. Wow. Uh, he, you had massive depression. We, you know, we, we can't imagine today, even with this last eight years of nightmare, of economic nightmare in the United States, how that compared to the economic nightmare that Roosevelt uh, inherited. So everything was going room. And then, and he himself kind of coined the term 100 days, although in, in thinking about this topic, I did some research. It turned out that Napoleon is the first guy to have said, this is what I'm going to do in my first 100 days. Really? Napoleon? But, yeah, yeah. Napoleon, huh. yeah. So, but anyway, let's not get on that. But, but Roosevelt had a unique historic opportunity. He was a, a brilliant rhetorician himself, and he's the guy that he's talked about his first hundred days. And then he acted, and he had a lot of uh, very, very, you know, connected really well with Congress. And he had uh, surrounded. He was surrounded by some really smart advisors. So they seized that opportunity to make some it turns out pretty radical changes when we look at the whole history of our country. Yeah. So every, everybody has envy of, uh, of, uh, Roosevelt. I, I, I'm sounding like an old person now, but I, I actually did work on the Reagan transition in 1980 and I worked, um, for that, a lesser known guy named David Gergen. Mm, man. And, and we were, he, Reagan had a hundred days project. And so he assigned a bunch of people, and, and I was one of them, uh, to write up a history of the first hundred days of all the presidents since Roosevelt. I got John F. Kennedy. So I, I wrote a paper, it's a, probably a 30-page paper, on everything Kennedy did during the first hundred days. So Kennedy is remembered as a remarkable and interesting, you know, uh, very charismatic president. And in fact, I have just a footnote, became converted to a lot of things that Kennedy did. I, I would take to reading 
quotes by John F. Kennedy and my colleagues and not saying where it came from. And a lot of them sounded like Reagan when it comes to tax cuts, which we're going to talk about later. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Kennedy had a lot of things going for it. But if you look at Kennedy's actual first hundred days, uh, I, I might be being a little unfair. I didn't go back and find my paper, but he basically announced the Peace Corps. Hmm. He signed an executive order setting up the Peace Corps, and he invaded Cuba. Wow. The, In his first the, hundred days. Yeah, the, uh, you know, this turned out to be a disaster. The Bay of Pigs, you know, a lot of people don't remember this now, but that happened on his in his first hundred days. Well, one thing we I, I have a I have a little uh, um, I guess some statistics here. John Kennedy's first quarter presidential job approval averages was the highest among all elected presidents since World War II. Seventy four percent approval rating. I guess even though uh, you know a war against Cuba and. Um, Peace Corps. I mean, I mean, those are some pretty amazing numbers as well. Dwight Eisenhower, seventy-one percent. Donald Trump is at forty-one percent approval right. rating. Well, I mean, I think you're making a, an important point, especially with Eisenhower and Kennedy, both very popular presidents, uh, both coming in a transition time. Uh, you know, uh, the, you know, transition periods. But in each case, their first hundred days was nothing to shout, shout about it. Right. That's why, and that's why I mean, it's not necessarily connected to their popularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Jimmy uh, Carter was the third, by the way, 69% approval rate in his first quarter. And he only yeah, made no, it three more, quarter, three more terms, right? I mean, one term, right. four years. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Is, is, no, what, it's, it's, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Joe. I was just going to say, it's interesting to see this. All presidents, oh, I don't know about Eisenhower, I couldn't find an Eisenhower quote, but I found lots of quotes from Kennedy, from Obama. Hmm. They all basically said, about 100 days, you know, interesting, but really, let's look at the first 1,000 days, which in Kennedy's case turned out to be a, a tragic prophecy, but because it was a, True. It, it lasted only about 1,000 days. But uh but yeah, so they all tend to want to do something big and say something, including Trump. Uh, they all talk about it, but then they all want to downplay it because it's really, really hard mm. to do. Well, it's not it's not possible to replicate FDR, but it's actually really hard just to do anything uh, uh, magic and amazing. So anyway, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, but shouldn't that be – that's, I guess, the point is Donald Trump, why is he having so much – so many problems because he's he pretty much has all the levers doesn't he except are they just fighting with each other well uh, a lot of president trump's travails are of his own making but he didn't have to make his big deal of the first hundred days either yeah true huh? Uh, but he did so that's part of it part of it is um oddly maybe like president obama maybe tackling the wrong things first. And there's a lot of discussion about, you know, did he waste a lot of time and energy on Obamacare when he could have been doing something on taxes? So so Reagan, just speaking about Reagan's first hundred days, first of all, he was shot on his 69th day. Oh, I did not know that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty early on Yeah, in the whole process. He was shot, but he still managed to deliver on the 100th day, maybe the 99th day, uh, he, he addressed a joint session of Congress calling for tax cuts 
and uh, beating back inflation. But, uh, you know, Reagan also, of course, like I say, when you're shot on the 69th day, that sort of takes the wind out of a lot of things. But <laughs> uh, no one has really accomplished a lot because, like you say, legislatively, even if everybody's on the same team, which they weren't for Reagan, but they are for uh, Trump, really, uh, you know, I used to say when I was chairman of the Republican Party in Utah, there are three parties in Utah and right. I'm chairman of two of them. And there are basically two Republican parties. And and so there's there's division over how to do all these things, A, and then B, as you point out. I don't know what – I didn't look up the congressional schedule, you know, when uh, in the 30s. But they're out a lot. Yeah. They, they, cut, they, they come in, then they go out, then they come in, then they, they take a long recess. And uh, so – Anyway, I'm not not justifying whatever happened in the Trump first hundred days, because you know most people say, well, he hasn't done most of what he said he would do. On the other hand, when you read liberal commentators, I read a, uh, a piece by Robert Reich. Oh boy, uh, yeah, you know President uh, Labor Clinton's Secretary, Labor Secretary, yeah. and uh, and a very liberal guy, although I think a, a pretty interesting, charming guy. But but yeah, he said, oh, he's done nothing. He's done nothing. But then he spends the rest of his piece talking about the devastating things that have happened uh, in the Trump first hundred days in foreign policy, and for, devastating from Reich's perspective. Um, and one thing that can't be ignored, and it's not obvious and it's not a headline, but if you look at his budget proposals and his regulatory proposals, and this is what Reich was, one of the things Reich was focusing on, uh, they have been deadly surgical they have been – he's issued three executive orders on regulations, established a regulatory budget, established this uh, – if you propose a regulation, you have to get rid of two, which I actually thought was stupid when I first heard it. But I now happened to meet the guy, the deputy uh, OMB director who's since left, but he was a, a professor at George Washington who thought all this thing up. And other countries have this two-for-one idea, but that – that that attacking the regulatory beast, he's been pretty effective at mm. that. You know, whether you agree with it or not, that's a different story. But to say he hasn't been effective, and, and I can tell you the squeals and whines from people like Robert Reich will say, uh, again, agree or disagree, he's been deadly effective in, within the 100-day period of attacking the regulatory beast. No, and, and you, can, you can see that, I guess, too – it almost seems like what what we're running into is um, some of President Trump's maybe I don't know if it's naivete about the political world, but because he's made a lot of promises and, and and now they're finding it so difficult to do it: repeal and replace, um, you know, expansive tax cuts and breaks, plus a major infrastructure bill. Three things that you really have to kind of do simultaneously or in in a certain order. Did he just? Did he just overpromise, you know, bravado, do whatever he had to say to get elected, and now he's having a hard time getting it to happen? Yeah, it's probably a combination of a few things. One thing is a lot of people who don't have government experience think that, well, you know, uh, it's just like business. You just go in and you make decisions. And the founding fathers, as I think said a lot of times on your show, were geniuses. They didn't want, and neither do we, want an efficient government. It's bad enough when it's inefficient. 
um, the the founders set up the varying factions against each other, branches, and then even within branches, you've got the House and the Senate, um, you've got a court system, you've got the executive branch. All of these things are set at variance with each other for a purpose, to make it hard to get things done. Now, I think it's become way too hard now, but I don't think Donald Trump figured on on getting his immigration orders bounced by courts. Right. I don't think he figured on getting his uh, repeal and replace uh, not through Congress. Uh, on his own side. Of, yeah, yeah. On, on his own team, with his own team divided on it. So there are a lot of things. Or, you know, I think he's getting some lessons in constitutional theory here <laughs> that uh, will, yeah. you know, I think, hopefully prove really beneficial. Well, yeah, this, he's got four years, right? He's got He's got a lot of time to to do stuff. And it seems like once he gets his hands wrapped around it, and I mean, also, it seems like once he starts playing politics, even pitting, I don't know, his own people against his own people, um, it, something's going to happen here. I guess, do you think he's, I mean, this week alone, now everyone's saying in order to save his first hundred days, he's, he's now got to save the government, but he, the possible shutdown of government. But now we keep hearing these tells of maybe he'll still get some health care repeal through or is any of that likely this week or, or what what advice would you give him? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the overall advice I would give almost anybody is stop trying to shoehorn a bunch of events into an artificial time frame like 100 days. Right. I mean, that's just there's no there's no real merit in that. A and then B, it's just many things are out of uh, uh, are out of his control, even as president. So I do I think something will happen on Affordable Care Act? I just don't know. I mean, you hear a lot of smart people saying something will happen, but you heard that before, too. I mean, there was a package put together, which was you know, eventually rejected. I don't think the government will shut down. And, and one reason I don't think so is I heard a poll over the weekend that a, uh, the Democrats would bear disproportionate blame for that. Mm. And I don't think they want that. And I think they would be to blame for it if it did shut down. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be partisan, but but it's in their interest to show that they're important working in the yeah. whole process. And, mm. and so I think they'll want that to happen. But I think at the end of the day, you'll just see yet another resolution that pushes the time out uh, a ways. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Just like just like every other president. Hey, um, let's take a break. Joe Cannon is joining us. We're talking. Politics, Joe in the know is just giving us his best insight. Um, you know, he, he he just he's got some great history and a, a lover of history and of baseball as well. Um, we might have to get into some of that as well. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, Fox Media. What's going on over there? Stick with us. Helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Monday. 
which means it's time to talk politics. Uh, pretty much the goal is to use just Mondays with Joe Cannon as the way to get us all up to date on what we really need to know when it comes to the political happenings back east. Uh, Joe Cannon was uh, is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower the fuel costs for the people here in the United States. And uh, he also is he, – he just has some pretty great connections back in Washington, D.C., and we like to pick his brain. So, Joe, thank you for being back with us. Thanks, Matt. What do you think, by the way, this uh, Fox News, Roger Ailes, um, uh, Megyn Kelly leaving, Bill O'Reilly leaving? I mean, this thing was a – this was the monolithic conservative Fox channel, and now it just seems like it's slowly – all the top players are walking away or being pushed out. Yeah, I think a combination of both walking away and in case of Megyn Kelly and yeah. pushed out. Um, the uh, it's it's I mean it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. I mean the the most recent ratings still show Fox, you know, annihilating everybody else except in one one case, and that is you've got Rachel Maddow. Yeah, her her show is ahead of her competing show at that same time slot, which is uh, Gretchen Carlson, I guess. But um, overall, Fox is still winning. The question is, going forward, are they going to – and it's not just that, that uh, O'Reilly left. What you've got is you've got this transition from at the senior management level at mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the ownership of Fox, and are the sons going to – you know, follow the father, or are they going to try to deviate? So that's a question people are looking at a lot. But actually, this is a little bit of a distraction. Well, it's a huge distraction, but there's an interesting phenomenon going on. So I have pretty good friends with a a woman named Margie Ross. Margie runs a company called Regnery Press. Regnery Press is the conservative, really right-wing press that publishes most of the anti-Obama books, most of the anti-Hillary books, most of the anti-Bill Clinton books. Hmm. A, a lot of these books have been published. So from their perspective of life, it's great when you have the opposition party in power because they could just make money off their base, off their constituency. And I think you're seeing that very same phenomenon with MSNBC. MSNBC is coming up. You know, it's not yet beating Fox with the one exception of Maddow, but – you know their base now has something to unify it to get to get energized around, and that is you know the horrible nightmare of Donald Trump. That's true. The conservatives had rallied around the horrible nightmare of Barack Obama, and so when you when you look at people who watch the news, um, if your guy is in, you're not as you know as attentive to it as when you're in the opposition party. And so I, I think you're seeing that a little bit of that phenomenon, too. So I'll call it sort of the oppositional side of things. So when your team is in power, you're less intense about watching the news and about buying. True, huh? Yeah, you, know, you don't want to hear it. You almost don't want to hear it. Yeah. So if you're a, a conservative Republican, you're going to buy every book you can on, on how bad Barack Obama is and vice versa. Interesting. So, yeah. And so yeah, – I, I, do you, do you in, s- in a way, the opposition party is a boon to the opposition oh, yeah. news media. You know? do, do you sense that Tucker Carlson, as he steps in in Bill O'Reilly's place, 
I mean, Bill O'Reilly, his his the research showed that he's he skewed to an older aged audience, about median age of sixty seven years old, and they're bringing in this young buck Tucker Carlson. Who um, do you think he'll be able to to pull that same audience and? Who is going to go attract that audience, or do you th- will they will they stay anyway? Because that's just their that's their political pr- belief. Yeah. Pretty sure that audience is not going to MSNBC. Yeah. Question is, is it still going to show up for Fox or not? And you know that's obviously to be determined. Um, Tucker Carlson has been much more popular, I think, even than Fox expected. But, but but having said that, he is um, um, I'm sorry, I said Gretchen Carlson earlier. I meant Tucker Carlson. Yeah. When you look at when you look at Tucker Carlson vis-a-vis Rachel Maddow, she beats him, at least in the most recent uh, hmm. couple of days that I've seen. So um, uh, anyway, I, it, it's hard to know how he's going because his style of show is quite a bit different. It is uh, from. Um, from O'Reilly's, but he he's pretty attractive to a lot of people. I mean, he's he is except for Sean Hannity, he's like the number two or three guy. I, well, I don't know. He's yeah, yeah. He's pretty. He's he's the number two guy compared to uh, uh, after Hannity. Um, so it'll be it'll be really interesting how he does. His his show has done better than anybody thought, which is why I think Fox is moving it into into that slide. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, I I guess I'm not going to make confessions anymore. I'm, I'm not sure how much of a cable channel news guy I am these days, um, but I do kind of like the five, or at least I like two of the three, two yeah. of the five. And they're moving they're moving they're up moving into up. prime time now more. They're they're yeah. getting a bigger spot. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Yeah. Do you, well, and and I guess um, I don't know. It's just it's yeah. It almost feels like, and I don't know if it's just exhaustion from the political world, but it's easier for me to not turn it on anymore. And maybe it's because we're not in a presidential year. But one one thing I guess I I want to bring up because there's whisperings about uh, Jason Chaffetz. But that's Jason Chaffetz not running again and saying he wants to get out in the, you know, the the real world. And, I mean, there have been whisperings that maybe he would go to Fox or to one of these stations and become a pundit. Do you think that that's – I mean, is that what we need or now our politicians to become journalists, I guess? Not journalists, yeah. but talking heads. Yeah. I have no idea what's in Jason's head on this. I don't think – he has the temperament and and sort of background to be an actual pundit, but I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be interesting to see the other shoes that drop with uh, Chaffetz's decision. And I, I don't mean that in a negative yeah, way. Yeah. I mean that we, we don't know. I mean, even now it's not clear why he what is he's leaving doing. and what he, what he wants to do. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that rolls out. You know, uh, he definitely likes to be in front of the camera. And so he could, you know, that that's that's a, you know, it's a possibility. But I just don't see him being a main host yeah. on uh, on one of these shows. Do, do you see, though, like, let's if if Jason's position is I've just been away from my family too long 
do you see that politicians could just get exhausted to the point that they walk? Some do. Uh, and it, to be seen whether one of those is Jason Chaffetz. I, I mean, in his actual statement, he said, I'm not ruling out running for something in the future. Right, so, right. Uh, you, know, you just who, don't know. Who knows what, what the, uh, you know, the real, I don't want to say real. I, I mean, it's what he said is, I'm tired. I want to spend more time with my family, but I might run again. Yeah. Those are the only actual facts that we know out of uh, or the only things that, that are concrete that he said. Uh, he clearly has a lot of political capital, and um, you know it's interesting to see what he does with it. What do you think, I guess, um, one of the big announcements out of the White House, uh, kind of back to the White House, is a new some new tax rates that they'll be releasing information and announcing on Wednesday – is it seems really dangerous to be messing with taxes when you have so many other things going on um, that have to be paid for. What what's your take um, on his tax reform, and and what are you hearing about his uh, President Trump's tax reform ideas? Well, um, it is. Dangerous. I mean, one of the, we talked about why ha- why something hasn't happened in the first hundred days on a lot of things on the tax reform, even within his own white house, you have divisions, you know, do, do you have, and this is a huge point. Is the tax cut going to be revenue neutral? Uh, or is it going to add to the deficit or the debt or not? Trump says, well, it's not going to add to the deficit, but that's not exactly the same thing as saying it's not going to be revenue neutral. So, there, there's a war between people who say revenue neutrality or dynamic scoring. So people, people on that side, the supply siders, are the ones who say, look, you can't really calculate the benefit of a tax cut if all you're saying is if you do it just a plus minus. If we decrease taxes, we decrease revenue this much. That does not tell the whole picture. If you have dynamic scoring, meaning you you see it's not just a static thing, but a tax cut itself could produce economic growth. In fact, Kennedy did a tax cut which spurred economic growth, and uh, and Reagan did the same thing. So uh, that that debate is going on. Uh, you know, do you have um, how do you do infrastructure? And tax cuts, so both of which quote cost money. So it's a yeah, you, you've got a, a little bit of a war between uh, hmm. uh, with, with within the White House itself. Boy, so, and yeah, they're they're going to have a busy week. It sounds like Joe. What uh, what's the one thing we're not paying attention to that we should keep our eye on? Well, this last year, well, the last year, the the um, twenty sixteen was the hardest year to be a Christian in the world when it comes to persecution. So basically for the third year in a row, the modern persecution of Christians worldwide hit a high. Hmm. So like every, every year has been a high. So it's, you know, it's primarily this ethnic nationalism in the Middle East, but there are other, other places. Uh, you, you've got a map that show a lot of places it's tough to be uh, Christian. Uh, you know, Africa, a lot of those countries in Africa, in uh, China, uh, in some Asian countries, it's very, very tough to be a Christian. 
So uh, there's a lot on a lot on that. I actually last week attended a thing, an event at the Catholic Information Center in, in Washington D.C. where we had a, several groups coming together to start shining the light on the problem of. Uh, Christian persecution. So that might be something. No, that's great. Great to keep on top of mind and uh, be thinking about it's, yeah, we're not free. No one's free from um, oppression. And and we we don't hear about the Christian oppression as much um, as we probably should. Joe Cannon, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your good work. Have a great uh, week as well. We'll talk to you again Monday. Again, you can find out more information about Joe and his work at Fuel Freedom Foundation, trying to lower the fuel costs for those in the United States and North America. We appreciate that as well. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up hour number one and uh, your Monday kickoff of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, you know, it, it seems like when it comes to politics nowadays, people are just angry. Either they're, way. They're very angry. Um, sometimes that anger turns into just kind of talking down to people. Yeah, condescent. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever heard of mansplaining? Mansplaining. Yeah. No. So, you got some mansplaining to do. <laughs> this says a Swedish union has set up a hotline for workers to report instances of mansplaining as part of the week-long effort to raise awareness of a certain kind of condescending elocution that men use to explain to women things they already understand. Oh, yeah. So in a situation where a man was standing there and like everyone understands what this is, but then someone goes, let me tell you what this is about. And they start into this huge... Yeah, like diatribe about... But but Whatever. why is it that some men do it more than women? It says, well, actually, it's not all men that do it, of course, but certain kind of men. You know him. He's probably getting ready to mansplain this article to you right now. That's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> what you need to know is the hotline, which is temporary and open to men and women, is set up by Union N, a trade union that represents about 600,000 private sector employees in Sweden and describes itself as the largest white collar union in the world. Our objective is to contribute to the awareness and start a dis- Discussion, which we hope will be the first step in changing the way people treat each other and talk to each other in the workplace. They said in an email, it's important to create awareness about how seemingly small things that we do or say add up to larger issues. Between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. every day, members are being encouraged to phone the hotline to talk about mansplaining in their workplaces. Oh, wow. The calls will be answered by 20 men and women uh, who are gender experts. I'm not oh, sure what that okay. Means. Authors, academics, others. The most important thing we consult we consult these people is that they have knowledge and interest in the issue. Both men and women carry valuable experience for such type this type of activity. So, in other words, at any point where the term mansplaining it says uh, explain and man entered popular usage after the author of uh, and historian Rebecca Soylent published a 2008 essay explaining men explain things to me. She described attending a party at which a man insisted on explaining to her a very important book he had read and heard about and did not immediately seem to absorb that she had written the book. Huh. So she stood there as this guy explained her entire book to her. She tried to like, well, I know. And, and he just kept going and going. And he's just like, what are you doing? Why are oh, you explaining yeah. uh, my book to I, me? I wrote the book. Yeah. I wrote the book. But thank you, sir. So, huh, interesting. I guess the idea is mansplaining is kind of assuming that the woman is not as intelligent yeah. as, and doesn't know what okay. you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, that's 
I've seen that. So now there's a hotline. So you can, you know. Now there's a hotline. Just what we needed. Another hotline. Uh, great, uh, great learnings from um, here at the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you get through this crazy thing called life. We'll be back. More ideas, more information. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of the program. This is the show where we give you the latest, greatest news, information, research to make sure that you can... Uh, Live your life. Lead your life. You've got to have the data, the information if you want to make better choices. So we bring it to you. Thanks for being with us. we got a great um, a great lineup today. We'll be talking about how to stop guessing the nine behaviors of great problem solvers. I don't think I'm a very good problem solver. Well, I mean, maybe I'm a good problem solver. I'm not a great decision maker. I kind of choked on my car purchasing decision. Well, yeah. Out of exhaustion, too. You told me that, and I started to feel sorry for you, yeah. and then you said, oh, it's a lease. Yeah. And then I, I wasn't as sympathetic. Well, but you still have to drive the car. For I'm going to try it for my first 100 days, like President Trump, and then I'm just going to do it 100 days at a time. Okay. I, so I, there is a grace period? No. There is not. No, I'm stuck. Mm. But I like it. It's a great car. It's just you got to know how to solve problems and... You know, when you're tired, worn out, and having gone through two or three dealers with a lot of promises. And speaking of dealing, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Right. You got you to know when to walk away. And Maybe. when to run. Yeah. You never know. What's the, how do, you never know. <laughs> you know, there'll be time enough for counting. Don't count your money at the table. That's the, that's the basic rule. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, how to be a great problem solver, some basic principles. Plus, also, we've, we've got to get into a crazy story about a man in a bunny suit with an air horn who decided to turn himself into police. And his brother was videotaping it, and it just didn't go well. I'm guessing there's more to this story, though. Do you think? Yeah. I. You know, there's so, we're given a paragraph of details and all of a sudden, we're supposed to pass judgment on these two guys. I think, I think this is appropriate to give them a benefit, the benefit of a doubt. And so we'll do that okay. here in a second. Yeah. We, we've got a we got a great goal to help everybody learn to give the benefit of the doubt. So we will give the benefit of the doubt. Well, I will. The bunny you're kind of you're a little more negative. You're a little quicker to judge. Yeah, I'm a little quicker to judge. I'm a little burnt out. Just mad at dealers, mad at guys in bunny suits. Do you think uh, – was there was there somebody on the corner holding a sign getting yeah. into the dealership the only in a bunny I, suit? That's the only reason I went to that dealership <laughs> is because some guy was in a bunny suit. See, they put in the extra effort. It wasn't just one of those waving, you know, air – what are those things called? Air uh, – oh, uh, the wave. You do the wave. Yeah. Is that what you're doing? Or it looks like you're almost having a seizure. Are you okay? <laughs> You were just doing a dance move. Do you think when you drove off the lot, the salesman was like, <laughs> got him. Well, let me just tell you how the whole thing started. I just pulled up to this car lot and um, started walking around looking at cars. And the guy that came up to me, my which became my guy, it was his first day. 
at the lot. Did he tell you that? Yeah. Why? The first thing he said, this is my first day. <laughs> and in my head, I thought, ah, jeez. And I wanted to run away. Hmm. And But he was hooked to me. And he was a nice gentleman. Don't get me wrong. Very nice. Hmm. But uh, I don't know. I was about – it's just weird. When you're about wa- ready to walk, all I wanted to know was the number. Just give me the number. This is what I want. This is how I want it. Give me the number. Can you hit this number? Sure. Sure. Oh, absolutely we can. Oh, hey, did you read the fine print? And he, I pull up the ad and he goes through the fine print with me. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I thought this and I had misunderstood the fine print because it's so fine that yeah. you misunderstand it. Then you just walk away, right? But, you know, we can do it. Let me let me go talk. Then, oh, then the, then the manager comes out. Ah, yeah. what's going to occur? Anyway, all the way, every single time, it was not what I wanted. It was not what I wanted. It was $50 more than I wanted for the lease. It was $100 more than I wanted for the lease. And and then another surprise when you're signing the papers. Huh. Then you walk oh. away, right? Oh, we went, oh you no? oh, oh tax. We forgot to we forgot to tell you how much the tax is going to cost. Oh, and the ink in that pen that you're mm-hmm. using to sign. Uh, are, oh, are you that's sitting? Expensive. Are you ink. sitting there? Okay, we have a sitting charge. Anyway, it's all fine. Whatever. But now I'm mad at the world and anybody <laughs> in a rabbit suit. So everybody, just get away from me. Get away. So we'll get to all that fun. Um, about problem solving as well as the rabbit story. And give the benefit of the doubt. It's got an air horn. Anyway, all that fun straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? A government shutdown is not what the Trump administration wants. Office Management and Budget Director Rick Mulvaney told Chris Wallace in a conversation on Fox News Sunday. A shutdown will occur on Friday, April 28th if Congress cannot pass a spending package by that date. President Trump has talked about a number of items that he would like to see in the government funding bill, Wallace asked, alluding to the White House Thursday demand that any spending package include money for Trump's southern border wall, which are uh, so important that he's willing to see the government shut down if he doesn't get them. I don't think anyone's trying to get to a shutdown, Mulvaney replied. Shutdown is not a desired end. It's not a tool. It is something that we want to have or, or... It's not something we want to have. Still, he added, the White House wants our priorities funded. And one of the biggest priorities during the campaign was the border security and and the border wall, keeping Americans safe. And that's all part of the deal. So Hmm. it is, but it isn't. They want the shutdown, but not necessarily. So we'll see what happens. President Donald Trump's tax proposal proposal will be released on Wednesday will include new tax rates, but those will mostly be generalities for Congress to consider, the White House budget director said Sunday. Speaking on Fox News Sunday, Mulvaney, the office management and budget director, said specifics about what tax cuts will be proposed are still being determined. He said the announcement will include guidance, principles, and also some indication of what the rates are going to be. So maybe more hmm. of a bullet point presentation than you're going to pay this much if you make this much type of Detail. Okay, yeah, okay. More of – they said more targets okay. that the Trump administration is looking for, and you just kind of give that to Congress, and then they figure out how to meet the target. Oh, uh, okay. Kind of so, like a car dealership. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We'll, we'll get you there. We'll get you the money we want you to pay. A University of California San Diego professor says he has developed an, axi- an acne vaccine oh, wow. that can help take care of the disease. He goes, it's the first vaccine for human beauty. This is Professor Eric Huang of the Department of Dermatology at UC San Diego. He goes, I think this vaccine has a huge market in the whole world. 
Uh, Acne is caused by an overgrowth of specific bacteria, and when the bacteria releases a toxin, it causes inflammation. The human body can't neutralize this factor on its own, but the vaccine can. It doesn't kill the bacteria. The vaccine neutralizes the bacteria, which everybody has. After five years of work, there are two types of vaccine, therapeutic and preventative, which will be given to children in elementary school. The vaccine has been tested on mice and worked well, and now he needs to team up with a pharmaceutical company for large-scale trials. But if that happens, the FDA approval, all that whole process, the vaccine could be available with three, in three to five years. Holy cow. They could fix acne, which is a big problem for so people. So we, we can totally. eat more chocolate now. Yeah. No. And I think those aren't related. Acne gives you, or chocolate gives you acne. Acne gives you chocolate. I don't think yes. so. <laughs> I think if you talk to a dermatologist, they would say, well, only if you're rubbing it in your pores. Which, you know, there was that guy <laughs> that took a bath in it. That's true. Now that would give you acne. And finally, McCain Foods, which you... Uh, from what I can tell, sells their product on the East Coast and the South, that area. The, yeah. They are recalling frozen hash browns from stores in nine states because the potatoes may have been, quote, contaminated with extraneous golf ball materials. Wow. Yeah. How did a golf ball get in there? Multiple golf balls. Oh, really? Yeah. Not sure how. This is on the Associated Press. The recall notice said the golf balls apparently were inadvertently harvested with potatoes used to make this product. They were Mm. chopped up. Consumption of these products may pose a choking hazard or other physical injuries to the mouth. This is all part of the recall. No injuries have been reported or explanation of how the golf balls were, quote, harvested with the potatoes. My potatoes are chewy. You know, just squirt some extra ketchup on there. You could choke it Timmy, down. Timmy, eat your potatoes. I can't. They hurt my jaw. My wife was speculating some some kid in Idaho just standing yeah. outside his dad's potato farm. Hitting and golf just, balls. You know, lining up and just driving just golf balls out there. get a bucket of range balls. Didn't bother to pick them up. And Dad came by and just plowed them under. Dad. So they all got mixed in. Yeah, now look. They have to recall hash, all of the hash frozen browns. Frozen hash browns. Oh, boy. Because there's golf balls in them. Somebody's getting in trouble. Hey, um, good stuff. Thank you, Terry. Um, Interesting little uh, event in New Jersey. A police officer apparently, well, it's a long story. A guy was turning himself in, wearing a bunny costume Mm. and blowing an air horn. Yeah. And his buddy was filming the entire thing, probably for YouTube. Mm. And they thought it would be just really funny. Sure. And so sounds funny. You get into the police station to charge to to turn himself in, and um, he's blowing his air horn, right? Just laughing and turning to the camera, and they're just all laugh. It's just laughter, tons of laughter. Cops love this, by the right? Way. And then police officer Nicholas Moresca Jr. comes out, and uh, he slaps Kevin Hemmerich on um, just kind of like in the head. Okay, hits him like and aggressively gets in his face, and he's wearing his leather gloves, so you know, yeah. He's going to be, you know, removing the perp from the premises, the premises, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and putting him in jail, I guess. But Moreskis now is facing uh, the officer. I mean, is facing simple assault charges and being charged with slapping Kevin Hemmerich. Um, he his attorney says he acted appropriately in accordance with his training and experience. We are confident that Offer Moreska will be vindicated of the one charge against him when this case is addressed in a court of law. The video shot by Hemrick's brother shows Hemrick entering the police station, wearing the bunny suit, blowing an air horn repeatedly, despite being told to stop. So you're not listening to the officers. 
Brother uh, Jason uh, Hemrick says two officers began yelling at him. One hit Kevin in the face. He says the brother was turning himself in on a warrant related to a motor vehicle accident. See, I think the boys thought they were just going to have fun with this. Yeah. But when you walk into a police station, you know, they're not there to have fun. Turn turn off your – so – I think you're a little too quick to judge them. See, and again, this is this is the this is something we 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 want to talk about here, Jeffrey. And Jeff thinks I'm quick to judge that you just you don't go in there a wearing a bunny suit. B, you don't go in there with a blowhorn. Hmm. Did it ever occur to you that this happened on Easter and that he was just being festive? It was in November. It was in November, so uh, it it didn't occur to me to okay. to, to equate it to Easter. Well, in November. What if it was laundry day and that was the only piece of clothing that he could find to okay. don? That, that, that's great. And so if, if that were the case, um, what's, what's with the air horn? Well, I, I, what if this man has been known to have a, a quiet voice? You know those low talkers? Yeah. You really cannot hear a word they're saying? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. So Maybe he's a low talker. Yeah, but – but again, when he's told to stop blowing the horn, well, I think he's he also should... hard of hearing. Oh, so maybe it's because he has an air horn that he keeps blowing. What? Oh, yeah. There's an update to the story. What? The man in the bunny suit. Yeah. Went to court over all this. He has pled uh, guilty to dis- disorderly conduct. This happened last week. He'll pay a $500 fine. Okay. The. Uh, Judge also ordered the police officer charged with striking the man in the bunny suit to stand trial July 6th. Oh, boy. For assault. Yeah. Um, he was in that uh, – what he has pled not guilty to the charge. The police officer pled not guilty to the charge of simple assault and harassment. More than 50 officers went to court to support him. Really? Like they're all saying I would have hit the bunny too. <laughs> so I think he was clearly intimidated into pleading guilty. Which? The bunny suit guy. Oh, was slapped in the face, first of all. And then being in a room of 50 officers, one of which slapped you in the face, that would be intimidating. I'd plead guilty. Yeah. And also another thing, simple assault. Yeah. This is not this is not a simple assault. Can you imagine the paperwork on this one? <laughs> bunny suit, air horn. Yeah. Why did so why'd you hit the guy? Well, he was wearing a bunny suit. I had to hit him. And in defense of the officer, maybe he's afraid of bunnies. Have you ever seen a bunny that's six See, feet tall? It seems like you're that complicating. That would be terrifying. It seems like you're complicating this. It's If I'm a betting man, the guy was maybe a little inebriated. Turning mm-hmm. himself in, he thought, I dress up like a bunny, that would make it easier. But I don't think walking into a jail cell with a bunny outfit on is going to help anybody. <laughs> I think... I think you're asking for problems. And maybe this guy figured, well, if I'm dressed in a bunny outfit, none of the other prisoners are going to give me any trouble. They're going to stay far away from me. Oh, really? Like you're a you're a rabid bunny? Yeah, maybe. And again, six foot tall bunny. That's scary. I think it has more to do with the energizer thing. He just he just. And if you watch that video, yeah. he just kept going and going and going. Yeah, he did. Anywho, always try to give the benefit of the doubt, even if it's to a guy in a bunny suit. Yeah, and if you're a police officer, you gotta you gotta have the upper hand. Actually, that's not good. 
We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about how to stop guessing the nine behaviors of great problem solvers. Stick with this. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When the challenging problems go unsolved in our lives, they can make us suffer in ways that we might not even recognize. We solve countless simple problems on a daily basis, sometimes unconsciously. However, there are different levels of difficulty to the practical problems of life. Simple problems are easily solved by step-by-step methods, right? Or just guessing. You can just flat out guess how to solve it. But the harder problems can't be solved the same way. So instead of throwing all of our research, time, and money at the hard problems, there are several behaviors that can uh, develop to become to help us all become better problem solvers. Our guest today, Nat Green, is here to share some ways that we can stop guessing and go solve some real problems. Nat, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Now, tell me, Nat, how did you get involved in this idea of, uh, you know, behavior or problem solving? And why, of all the topics you could cover, why problem solving? Well, um, problem solving has such an impact in the world and, and on people. And, and I, I've spent my whole life fascinated by it. And I'm highly attuned to seeing the problems that exist around us um, in business, you know, in our personal lives, in our local communities. And so my attention is always drawn to them. And, you know, as I've been trying to think how I can have broader impact and sort of make my mark and help people, um, you know, I figured that finding a way to spread the message about how people can become much more effective problem solvers was a great starting point. And you talk about, you actually distinguish, I mean, there's easy problems. We can just, you know, guess, figure it out, try, try, try till we figure it out. But it's the harder problems that, uh, that really take a different skill set. How, how do you distinguish when it's time to, to just quit guessing? Um, well, I, I think it's time to quit guessing almost immediately. In fact, as soon as you have that thought, it's probably already too late. You should already stop guessing because we're so wired to guess um, that, that all our efforts need to be you know, placed on, on not guessing. And, and with simple problems, you know, as you say, we, we try a few things really quickly. There's not very many options. Uh, and guessing, you know, we can very quickly have a few ideas and try something. I mean, the example that that uh, you know, I've been using recently is, is, is say I tell you that a, a picture falls off the wall. Okay, you hear it drop to the ground right. in the other room. Uh, immediately you've, you've thought why, right? You've got a guess that's come into your mind. It's sort of ex- instinctual. And in reality, there's only one or two things that could have happened. I mean, the, you know, the nail that it's hung on came loose, the string and the back snapped, or somebody bumped it uh, and knocked it off. You know, there's very limited choices. So, so those sorts of problems we're used to solving with that kind of mental approach. And when I'm talking about hard problems, I'm talking about problems that have already resisted those efforts. People have already had a go, um, or they've been around a long time, uh, and typically they're characterized by being a problem with many, many possible root causes. And you're never going to be able to guess. They might have a thousand things that could make them happen. And, and the chances of you figuring it out by guessing are so slim that you should just stop that as a strategy. Is it... So when you talk about these problems, because it's one thing to have the a very tangible like picture falling off of our, or a painting or whatever falling off of our wall, um, but it almost seems like some of our biggest problems are the are kind of just complex relationship human with multiple complexity, multiple people involved. It seems like some of them are too hard to sort out. 
or is that just my mind trying to, you know, not have to deal with it? Well, I mean, they may be, right? I mean, I, I can't talk to every problem and every problem that every individual faces, and I, I would never try and make a blanket statement that every problem can be solved. Um, presumably, there's sort of this frontier of problems, and with your current problem-solving capability, you, you know, you find that frontier, and, and you tend to, we all tend to, sort of give up at a certain point and decide that something's too hard. And the only thing I propose is if you look around and you look at the people who you respect for being very good problem solvers and you understand what they do, is it possible for you to improve your problem solving skills sufficiently that you can push that frontier out a bit? I'm not saying you can go all the way and solve every problem you ever face, but you know, if you could take the next step and take a bite out of the next chunk of challenges that you face, you know, what could you do for your community and yourself and your family and, and so on? Oh, yeah. And, and maybe it is, you know, maybe so many of us are, are we just give up too easily, too. We, we don't because we don't possess these skills. It seems like this is something we need to learn instead of, you know, just moving the problem on to the next person. Yeah. And, and I think it's a natural state. Um, I don't think people are taught very well how to solve problems. Right. I don't think they're taught well at school. And I don't think society and our, our sort of a lot of the dynamics in our workplaces um, cultivate the behaviors that are needed to solve hard problems. Um, and so I don't, you know, when, when we, even when we say the word give up, I mean, I use that word, but, but you know, I don't actually like it because it sounds quite negative and it sounds like we're blaming the individual. I, I think it's more a question of, you know, when you reach a point where you don't know how to go further. You know, and you don't have the skills, you don't have the support, then the only thing you can do is pause on that effort. You can't keep bashing your head against the right. wall if you don't know how to go around it. So, um, yeah, I think there's tremendous opportunity for people to um, find ways so that they don't have to feel like they have to give up on some of these problems. What would be an example? Because I also believe many people, they don't even know they have a problem, <laughs> but they the, 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 it keeps rearing its head every Every season, every quarter, every whatever, what are some signs that you might be stuck in a problem-solving cycle and you're stuck? Yeah, or, or, or a not problem-solving yeah, cycle. Yeah, the absence <laughs> of solving the problem, yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, I think um, when you start to tell yourself that um, it's not actually possible, that you've, um, you know, you've solved uh, – sorry, you've worked at solving the problem – and you now believe that it's not even a problem. It's just the way it is. And, of course, it happens in people's personal lives, in their marriage. You know, people get to a point they go, well, this can just never work. Well, you know, I, I, obviously there are some situations where that's the case. But, but in a lot of cases, it's like if you step back and you go, well, is that really the case? Can it not theoretically work? You know, how did you get to this point in the first place? There must have been good, good moments and good things, and there must have been compatibility and shared mission and, and this sort of thing. And so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on marriage or marriage counseling, but, but, you know, a marriage is a lot of things that, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues that arise in, in your own and in your friend's marriages and things. And, and I think at points people give up. And, wh- and once you have reached that barrier where you think you need, you know, that there's no solution, then, then you probably have a hard problem there mm. and one that you may or may not be able to solve. And, and I guess, I mean, so again, if, if, if you don't even know that it could be better, I mean, some people have just gotten used to the result, right? And they didn't even know it's no longer a problem because, you know, they've just adjusted to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're very good at developing coping mechanisms. Um, in, you know, in our personal life, we just accept things and we accept the way it is. It's, it's like a rock in your shoe and, you know, it's, it's a pain for the first few steps. But if you don't clear it out, you know, your body adjusts and you become used to it. 
Uh, and in business, there's a lot of coping mechanisms. I mean, people can't solve, say, production processes, and so they, um, you know, they buy a new, they build a new factory or something. Right. Um, they they have problems with their delivery schedule, so they hire more drivers to deliver a product instead of solving the problem. There's a lot of workarounds, which which is why a lot of businesses ultimately their margin ends up being whatever is needed to survive, um, because they keep avoiding solving the hard problems in their business. Um, by throwing money at it until their margin can't cope. Mm. Um, And and we hire, and that's the thing too, is there's a lot of really competitive consultants telling you that they've got the solution to your problem. And and, and so then if you don't know how to go through your own problem-solving, you know, pat or, you know, approach, then you might just automatically trust everyone else to solve the problem. Yeah, and it's, it is an interesting point because there are obviously some very good problem solvers who can help you solve a problem um, or can help guide you or help your uh, team do that. Um, but there's a difference between when you talk about consultants or outside people, and, th- and those outside people could be from a larger corporation that you're part of or a broader communi- yeah, community. You know, whenever we um, give up responsibility for solving a problem, we've got to be very careful that those people are actually great problem solvers because mm. uh, if, if, if they're not – you're just, um, you know, handing over the keys to your future to somebody who may or may not be a good problem solver. And, and um, people often confuse experience and expertise with great problem solving, and, and they're not the same thing. And that's the difference is, too, we, you're the one that possesses a lot of the information. So you may as well, instead of just handing it over, all, I mean, you may eventually need a professional to do something. But I guess what you're saying, though, is learn the behaviors of a great problem solver first, and then you can make those decisions what you do next. Well, it's certainly going to help. And, and it depends on how pressing things are. You know, if you, if you learn how to be a great problem solver early on, then when, you know, a crisis arises, you can um, be at the center of that and at least steer it. You know, you might not have the time, you, you know, if you're in a corporate role, you might not have the time to personally go and manage solving some of these uh, critical problems. You know, your role is to deploy resource to them. But you've got to make sure you understand what's going on and how to guide people and how to know when they're taking the right steps or not uh, and what questions to ask them to get the most out of them. Uh, and I think that's the, the important thing. So always, you know, the, more, the better you can be before the critical moment arises, it's always going to help you. And, and of course, hopefully you'll avoid a bunch of crises by solving you know, these hard problems in a timely manner and, and giving yourself more options. Mm. Talk about the behaviors. Now, you write down in the book, um, stop guessing the nine behaviors of great problem solvers. You identify, I, I guess, nine behaviors. So nine approaches, nine, nine, um, nine actions, nine activities that great problem solvers do. Let's start. Let's get into some of those. What, what are some of the things that, that good problem solvers do versus those that aren't so good at solving problems? Well, no surprise, I called the book Stop Guessing, and we've already talked about guessing and the need to stop guessing. The, the first behavior and the most critical one is to stop guessing. You know, and, and we, we cover up guessing with so many different lovely words, right? Because it's, you know, it's not very polite to say to someone, well, you're just guessing. I mean, it, it can be you know, kind of challenging. And so you know, we, we do other things. We call it brainstorming, for instance, right. uh, which I call group guessing, um, <laughs> which is just a bunch of people having you know, wild guesses about something. You're very unlikely to drive progress. And, and recent research shows that it's not even particularly good for creativity because you very quickly get groupthink. Um, and, you know, a couple of people have an idea and their idea dominates and, and, it, and it reduces creativity. Hmm. So, you know, brainstorming is a problem. Um, people have hypotheses and ideas and, you know, there's lots of words they use. So 
the first thing you've got to do is stop guessing. And then, and then the next eight problems, uh, the, the next eight um, behaviors are all about what to do once you stop guessing. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a number of them. I mean, you know, the, the first one, uh, you know, in the list sort of thing is, is to smell the problem. And it's, it's make sure that you get in there and you focus on the problem, not the solution. So many people are solution-centric when they face a problem. They're, they spend all their time trying to think of a solution. And, of course, if you don't know the problem that you're trying to solve, uh, you know, any solution might fit. I mean, mm. it's sort of like shooting in the dark. So, so you've got to get in there, smell the problem, use all your senses and really understand what's going on, when the problem's happening, you know, what do you observe? And, and, and the key there is to, you know, guessing will creep back in, you know, because we, we do it all the time. We, we guess at the solution and it pollutes us and we try to look for data that backs up uh, you know, that validates that, you know, with confirmation bias and so on. Uh, and, and it's tremendously destructive in the problem-solving effort. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, and, th- yeah, and then you're, you're only looking for data to support your hypothesis. And meanwhile, your, your business loses, you know, more market share or whatever. Um, so you, you got to get in, smell the problem, I guess, get your hands dirty, get in and, and make sure you're actually assessing all of the data. Yeah, you, I mean, it's very difficult to solve a hard problem um, you know, while you're sat on a chair in your office, um, you know, it's unlikely that it's going to come to you. If, if it would, you'd already have solved it. You've got yeah. to get out there now. Now, that might mean out there into operations, out there in your community, um, or it might mean out there by digging into your computer system. You know, but certainly sat there dreaming about stuff is, isn't, going to, isn't going to get you there. You're going to have to go and find out the data that is, is really causing um, this problem. Well, and, and in a way, um, and oh, how do you say this? Quit talking to the experts that can't that haven't solved your problem either. I mean you you hire people, you hire consultants, you hire whatever to come in and help you and if the problem's still not changing um then it seems like maybe you're not being clear about how where you're ignorant. I mean there's there's obviously a blind spot somewhere. So I know one of your points is to embrace your ignorance. Talk about that. Yeah, the 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 thing you need to understand is it's not what you know that's holding you back from solving this hard problem. It's what you don't know. And so until you embrace your ignorance and you admit that you just don't know what's going on, um, then it's, um, you know, it's going to be very hard for you to progress, which is one of the reasons why people, you know, people who like problem solving will all be familiar with the idea of you know, a fresh set of eyes. You get fresh eyes in. And one of the good things about that is people aren't held up by their, their bias, you know, their previously held biases. So, you know, fresh eyes are good. But also, when you get somebody involved who's a great problem solver, but isn't um, an expert in your particular system or your business or, you know, whatever, whatever's going on there, when they aren't, they can ask all kinds of stupid questions. And you'd be amazed at how many people um, are in an industry and even experts in industry. And when you really push them for what something means or a definition they use, they don't actually know. They become so used to it. Uh, and I was reminded of this recently, um, you know, with the, the previous election uh, cycle and, you know, not to get political, uh, particularly it's, it's that when people were looking at the Electoral College and there was a lot of discussion of, uh, ooh, what could happen and, and how could you, you know, block Trump from becoming president for people who were um, keen to do that. Um, you know, the funny thing is, is there are a lot of people who know a lot about politics, but it turned out they didn't really know how the Electoral College works. And right. it's a lot more complicated than we thought. But plenty of people figured they did. And really, it takes someone to go, well, hang on, how could that work? And is that true for every state? And, and then you realize it's, it's, you know, maybe where people feel they're experts, there's actually a lot they don't know. Oh, it's so true. It is so true. And, and, and yet we, we keep talking as if we know. 
But there's something about once you embrace your ignorance, it does create this kind of this almost this humility where it almost turns on the listening again, the learning. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing to not know what's going on um, and to be able to explain that openly without fear. And, and it's difficult in a lot of situations because people are not used to it. And um, the, 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 people spend a lot of time, especially experts, covering up and maintaining a facade that they know everything that's going on. And so it's difficult to initiate. And, and in a business, it can be difficult to initiate um, because people don't necessarily feel safe with it. Mm. Uh, well, and, and their job is hanging on this, they think. But your job should really be hanging on your ability to solve the problem, not to know everything that's going on. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Nat Green, author of the book Stop Guessing, The Nine Behaviors of Great Problem Solvers. When we come back, we'll continue discussing the behaviors, hopefully give you some more tools to uh, to actually solve the problems in your life. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Nat Green, uh, author of the book Stop Guessing, The Nine Behaviors of Great Problem Solvers. And he's he's just coaching us up, giving us the tools we need to be able to solve the problems of our lives. And it's not always it's not always an easy thing to even see the problems, is it, Nat? No, it can be uh, it can be very challenging to recognize them. Is it? I guess because. You're also so in it. Um, I mean, I run my own business, and you, I can see what our, I can see where we just need to solve some problems. But then you get in, and there's just too much history. There's there's so many things that cloud it up. So my my inclination tends to be, well, let's get an expert in here. Um, but talk to us, talk to us about you know before we bring the experts in to fix it. Um, they're still not, they don't have the expertise I do. So what are some other things we should do to help solve this problem? What are some of the other, you know, behaviors of problem solvers? Well, an expert, the use of experts is interesting. I think before you utilize an expert, you've got to understand how you're going to get the most out of them. And so the behavior that that we list um, in the book is, is don't rely on experts. It's not don't utilize them or don't talk to them or it doesn't say they're not, they're not helpful. They can be tremendously helpful at pointing you to certain knowledge you don't know, uh, helping you step back and reassess things, um, and maybe helping you understand what, what you could do, what, you, what your process, your business could be capable of. They can be very helpful there. Um, but the thing is, is, is you can't rely on them to solve your problem because they might be an expert in a particular part of things, but you're the expert on your business. Mm. And you have access to data that they don't, and you have an alignment uh, with your business needs that they don't. Um, you also have a time frame that's typically much longer. So, so you know, when it comes to uh, experts, unfortunately what people do is they often um, just hand things over to them. Uh, and so before you even bring them in at all, I'd say make sure you know what you're going to do with them. And I love that idea that, I mean, if you need them, utilize them. But in the end, it's still my business, and it's 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 my responsibility to know what's going on to make these decisions um, instead of just almost abdicating my responsibility to them and assuming or hoping that they'll fix it. 
Yeah, and, and time and time again, I mean, I've, I've spent the last 20 years working with large industrial corporations, uh, you know, mostly in the United States, myself, but yeah. some of my colleagues in Europe and elsewhere. And time and time again, I see a situation where there's a problem. And I don't know, I'll choose, I've done a lot of work in food and beverage. So maybe you've got a filling machine that isn't filling right or a packaging machine that isn't sealing the product uh, correctly. And what people will do is, which expert do you think they'll call in? The, the packaging expert. Great. Yeah. So they'll typically call the people who sold them the piece of equipment. Right. And, exactly. You know, maybe one of their experts will come in to tweak it and so on. And, and the issue there is that they don't necessarily know how to operate that equipment best in your environment. Number True. one. Yeah. And number two is they're not necessarily aligned with you. So all the time I see um, a situation where you end up with a dynamic where there's a proposal on the table to buy the latest piece of equipment. And, you know, spend money and often an expensive, um, disruptive decision rather than to get what, what is already there uh, working better. Because the, the person that the OEM, you know, the original equipment manufacturer sends in um, isn't necessarily a great problem solver, isn't necessarily able to solve your problem. Um, but they do know how to, um, you know, help you buy a new piece of equipment. Yeah, upsell. Love to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so true. <laughs> and, and yeah, and you may, one reason it's not working, if you kind of had a more neutral advisor, um, they might be able to say, you don't even need that machine. I mean, honestly, if we just did this here and this here, you'd cut this process out. And so, so I guess that's one of the reasons to, if you need to use experts, use them, but just don't rely so heavily on them. Um, when you also talk about it, and this kind of gets into Occam's razor and some pretty powerful ideas about simplicity. A lot of times we seem to choose the most complex solution, but you talk about, uh, look for the simple solution and believe in it. Yes. Uh, I mean, hope's a wonderful thing. And if you enter into a situation expecting things to be complicated and difficult, that's what you're going to find. Obviously, there's the great Henry Ford quote um, about uh, if you think a thing can be done or you think it can't, um, you're right. Mm. Uh, and there's like, it's quoted about 10 different ways online. So, uh, you know, don't kill me if I got the quote slightly wrong. But the the yeah, the thing is, is believing in a simple situation is critical. And I've, um, I talk about in the book one particular story I was involved in uh, as a very young consultant. And I was working in a large, large um, paper um, factory, paper mill. And we had this one packaging um, sort of line, and it was causing big problems in their supply chain. They were um, having to put some very large uh, national retailers on um, consign- uh, sorry, on um, allocation uh, because they couldn't supply them with the product that they were making, which, you know, it's a great business problem. If you have right. a business problem, you want it to be that your customers want more of what you can produce than you can produce. It's much better than the other side of the coin. But it's still, nevertheless, very disruptive. And I ended up being able to increase capacity on this production line uh, in a few days uh, by more than 30%, so solving their allocation problem, by removing one loose bolt from one piece of equipment. <laughs> and and the, thing, the thing is, think about that. A lot of the ways people try problem solve, they get people in a room or they're lying there you know, late at night and have a eureka moment. Who was going to wake up one morning and go, I know, there must be a loose bolt in one of the pieces of equipment that's, that's stopping this, causing all this trouble. I mean, people would laugh you out the room. Right. You could have a thousand people in a, the biggest brainstorming session in the world, and that idea could be brought up and it would never be considered. Um, and so, if, but once you solve some of these com, you know, complicated problems with a simple, elegant solution, and you start to believe that that is possible, you're not going to find a simple, elegant solution for everything, but you'll look at problems in a different way. So true. 
Yeah. And, and again, we, we like the complexity. And I guess because we think it's we think some things are so complex, except some things are just a loose bolt. Well, a simple solution is very dangerous politically in a corporation. So in, in this case, can you imagine someone going to the board? I mean, this was a public company. Can you imagine them going to the board and saying, hey, you know, we've had this disruption with some of our biggest uh, customers and this product launch that was wonderful, but, you know, there's been these hiccups. Can you imagine explaining to them that, that the problem is we had a loose bolt? I mean, <laughs> you know, they're not trained no. to look at it that way. They, they, what people want is they want a complex solution. If it's a hard problem, they want a complex solution. Otherwise, they, they feel a little silly. And, that, and that's, that's one of the behaviors we've got to stamp out across the board. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great advice. And then uh, just another point you bring up or another behavior is the ability to stay on target. It seems like we're so easily distracted, and I guess it depends on every business and every situation, but staying on target might be the hardest thing. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, yesterday I was uh, helping um, you know, my wife and the kids. We were trying to sort out some of our books because yeah, as the kids get older, we've got some early, early reading books and things like that. And, and you know, there's, there's too many books. We need some space on the shelf to make room for sort of age-appropriate books for the kids as they get older. And so we're sorting through them and clearing some things out. And, and uh, my wife, um, you know, needs another box. I go up into the attic to get a box to, you know, put some books in that we're going to donate. And, of course, what do I find? I, I find some, another job to do, <laughs> you know, and I start doing that job. So I pull down some things. I start sorting some photos. And, of course, she's looking at me like, what, what's going on with you? You know, because I, 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 I've just lost focus, right? And this yeah. happens in business all the time. And, you know, people latch onto something. And sometimes it's just, you know, good old-fashioned distraction. And sometimes it's great intent because people see something else going on. But a lot of the times it's a way to hide. And with hard problems, people distract themselves by finding other parts of problems that, that maybe they're more comfortable with. And they work on those first and they set aside the hard problem. And, of course, given that there are a lot of problems around, it's very easy to keep yourself, um, you know, distracted uh, in a way that's politically acceptable. Absolutely. And that's why staying on target is, is such a critical uh, behavior. So good. As, um, as we wrap up, what would you say, I always ask for kind of the one thing. So if there's one thing that we could do today, and I guess other than going and getting the book Stop Guessing, The Nine Behaviors of Great Problems Solvers, um, what, what's the one thing I could do today to immediately, that would immediately leverage and get me, get me focused on solving the problem? Just, I, I would say, imagine, it, it's all about vision and desire, right? It, imagine if every single person in your community was a stronger problem solver, mm. and, including the best of them. Or imagine the best problem solver getting better that you know, and imagine if everyone else took a big step towards them. You know, what would it take to do that, and what would the impact be on your community um, if you improve people's problem solving that way? And, and, and hold on to that picture, and, and you'll look at things differently. That's beautiful. Nat Green is his name. The book, Stop Guessing, The Nine Behaviors of Great Problem Solvers. He uh, truly is um, trying to change the world by changing how we solve our problems. We will uh, we'll take a break. Go check out that book information. Figure out today, what would this world be like if we all could just solve a problem more effectively? What, uh, what fixes could we have? What lives could be changed? Stick with us, folks. You're part of that change helping uh, you become the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to her house. She is looking about. She is here to break down things you 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. McKenna Baus in the house. McKenna is one of our uh, great producers and um, also over our social media. Today she's talking to us uh, about Singapore and what they are doing. I mean, all of a sudden you're landlocked and global warming starts shrinking your country as the, I guess, as the water rises, right? So what's, uh, what's going on with Singapore? So some of the different things that they are doing are really, really interesting. A big part of their economy right now is oil. Um, But you can't – like storing that takes up a lot of space, right? And that's space on a very small area of land that they can't use for other things. You know, Singapore itself is just three fifths the area of New York City. So if that gives you an idea, yeah, of how small this country is, it's the size of a a city. And so they're building giant caverns underground, like out in the ocean, like 400 plus feet below sea level that they store it in. They store their oil in. Yeah, so they're doing these caverns underground to be able to store that better. Some of the other cool things that they're doing are they are shipping in massive amounts of sand from countries across the globe. Uh, So much so that there's countries that have just been like, we're done sending you sand. We send you so yeah. much. And You're it's sort a of sand like hog. Um, and so to, to like to add that, to their coastline. Yeah. And so what they do is they'll go several feet out and build sort of like a wall, like a retaining wall. Then they drain in, into the ocean and then they drain that of the water. And then they fill and then it they up. And they fill it up. And they are able to do that. Right now, they're like doing it in areas that are about 20 feet deep in terms of water. Yeah. And that's that works. They're not going to be able to go much farther out. Once you hit around 30 feet, it becomes yeah. too unstable because okay. of the water pressure and all that. It can't hold up. Well, China was doing this right in the in – the, they're building an Air Force base in the middle of the sea. And – so I guess, what's weird about this is at what point do you no longer own the property? Well, I mean, the nice thing is country borders usually extend yeah. out, out into, into the, the ocean. ocean. And so if you're within that realm, you're okay. And okay. a lot of small countries, um, though, they're buying land in other countries. And so you have you know islands in the Pacific that – are only maybe, you know, two, three, five feet above sea level. Anyways, they're going and buying chunks of land in Australia and things like that. And so that way, in the case that their country no longer exists because of, you know, rising sea levels, they can move all their people and sort of reestablish, you know, in these other parts. Um, Another cool thing that Singapore is doing to deal with this lack of land is, you know, roads take up like a third of oh, the city. True. And they're like, well, what happens if we elevate the roads? Let's put the roads above things so we can have things underneath. And so they're starting to try and redo that. Um, Unbelievable. Factories, they're building in high rises. And then they'll have a ton of different factories all in the same high rise so they can share um, you know, utility elevators. They can share electricity. And so all of that is just focused and building up even Can you imagine like a 40-story factory and with got, five businesses Yeah, in five it. different businesses. And that's something that's pretty common there now. Well, you know, that actually makes sense, right? When you think of like if you're manufacturing an automobile, mm-hmm. if you could have a parts you know, factory upstairs that's generating a lot of the parts that come downstairs. And I mean, I guess it's about efficiency, right? Yeah. These, these, these countries have to be more efficient. And there's, I mean, they're doing really cool things and it's amazing 
how fast they're able to get sort of a turnaround on these being ideas to being put into practice. And there's something that we can all learn from. You know, Singapore itself, though, is in a sort of unique situation um, in the sense that they, in all but name, are a one-party government. Um, you know, they have elections every year, but the same party just keeps getting just elected. Keeps winning. And, and so they're able to just do what they want. Do what they want and yeah. get a lot of things done. There's not that same kind of you know, problems with things getting tied up in Congress. And so you have that. Additionally, the government owns like 90% of the real estate on this, you know, tiny tiny little island and so that again helps, that helps. ease with the red tape. Um, but there is a cost. One of the largest um, Chinese cemeteries in the world is in Singapore. And oh, really? It's, you know, this, I mean, icon, except at the same time, it's a lot of land that's not really being used for anything no. else. And right. so it's slow. I, there's, you know, been a bit of pushback in the sense of people being like, no, we need to protect this. But already, like, over 4,000 of the graves have been exhumed and the land there has been leveled because, like, we need this space. Sorry. Sorry to all of you who have gone before us. We need the space. We've got to put a, yeah, we've got to put a 7-Eleven in. Well, McKenna, thanks. Interesting insight. Total mind bender. Think about how fortunate you are to live in the U.S. where there's so much property, so much land that we can use. Uh, We will take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's the House of Bows. It's the House of Bows. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you through life. Boy, oh boy. Glad to be back. It's Monday. You know, some people just don't like Monday, but I love it because I bought a new car. Hey, this is a different side of you that we're seeing. Yeah. I uh, I bought a new car, so I'm so excited. I mean, sure, it's not everything I wanted. Sure, it's not half of what I wanted, but it's mine, and it's my car, and it's fast. It's very fast. I got here faster today. A lot faster. So you uh, you mentioned that you were experiencing some buyer's remorse, or well, another another word for it would be surprise. Like you were maybe surprised um, that you didn't. I just gave up. I just rolled over and gave up because. Hmm. So the buyer's remorse. They actually have found the more time you spend investigating something, the more buyer's remorse you have. Yeah. So I spent two years looking at cars. For the last two years, I've been thinking of buying a car. And so, I had I had different cars I loved and wanted, and it they just they didn't add up. So I couldn't get the ones I thought I wanted forever. So I ended up getting one I didn't know I wanted because they lured you onto the lot with the yeah. guy in the bunny suit. Uh huh. And this reminds <laughs> me, by the way, this reminds me of a movie that we teased here on the show, which one? A, a while back. A lot of surprises. The sequel to Scared Straight to Jail. The sequel to 5 to 10, Break-In 2. The sequel to Break-In. This time, parking won't be validated. A lot of surprises coming this spring. Yeah. 
instead of break in, I feel like after purchasing my car, I feel more like broken. Yeah, broken. It's no fault but my own. I actually, I actually do. I like the car. It's a very good looking car, and it's fast and peppy, and it's it's all good. It's Again, good. I don't just, know that there's much sympathy because it is just a lease. Does it meet all the air quality standards, or is it one of those Volkswagens? It's um, it's it's not one of those. It's, it wasn't a diesel. Are you, you sure? Yeah. All right. But you're filling well, it, it with not diesel be because I feel I, <laughs> I filled it with regular or unleaded. I guess um, it's not a diesel, but it. I've had it. I've had a, a Passat before, and I love them because they're kind of fun to drive. They're really fun to drive. As you said, peppy. Peppy. And it's a turbo. So, you know, when you need to go, you go. But uh, it's just not the car I'd thought about for two years. I've heard that term doesn't really carry any clout and that it's just meant to, you know, try no. to brag to other people. Turbo. I've got this turbo. No. It doesn't really mean anything. People have been calling me turbo forever. And it totally holds its weight. I'm turbo. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Um Great show today. We're going to be talking, interestingly, about marital intimacy and how not to shame your partner. Because sometimes in marriage, one person wants more touch, more affection than others. And a lot of times when that's not happening, there's some shaming that's going on. There's other issues that are going on. So we're going to be talking with Kim Giles about marital intimacy right here. On BYU Radio. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, also, of course, uh, visit our good brethren down at BYU Sports. Find out what's coming up on their show, as well as a hero of the day, of course, because it is hour number three of the program. And we'll also be doing some empty news headlines as well. All of that straight ahead. But first and foremost, let's get to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? North Korea on Sunday said it's Prepared to bomb the USS Carl Vinson, a U.S. aircraft carrier leading a Navy carrier strike group towards North Korea in a show of force. Our revolutionary forces are combat ready to sink a U.S. aircraft carrier with a single strike, said an editorial in a newspaper run by the Kim Jong-un regime's Workers' Party. The article called the ship a gross animal and the potential strike an actual example to show our military's force. It's a gross animal. Yeah. As you may remember, the Carl Vincent was said by the Trump administration to be headed towards North Korea earlier this month, only to be actually thousands of miles away off the coast of Singapore. The USS Carl Vincent started joint drills with two Japanese destroyers in the western Pacific Ocean because it was near Singapore, near Australia, all that. And it turned around and headed north because the president said they were there and they weren't (laughs) there. And now they're getting there. Okay. So now they're there. They're uh, joint drills, two Japanese destroyers in the western Pacific Ocean on Sunday, according to officials who absolutely swear that that's where the aircraft carrier really was this time. They absolutely (laughs) Absolutely swear swear it is. North Korea has detained, in other news, North Korea has detained an American citizen, a professor in his 50s, who was teaching accounting at the Pyongyang University, Hmm. the capital of North Korea there. This man is now the third American being held in the country. I I don't know if I would go to North Korea if, if I were an American right now. Yeah, you'd think that'd be problematic. I didn't know you could go. Yeah, there was people. Well, we had a woman on, uh, we interviewed her. Yeah. But she went there as a spy, essentially. She was, yeah. (laughs) She was there. So the government is now swearing the USS Carl Vinson and the strike group is off the coast of Japan. They are really there. Okay. swear. They haven't lost an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Is it a gross animal? It's what they're calling it. North Korea sees it as a gross animal. 
Well, I guess it, I mean that's that seems rude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what about the what about the aircraft? Well, your stories? your mom's a gross animal. According to a new poll, ninety six percent of Americans who voted for President Donald Trump do not regret their vote, but Trump's approval rating is still historically low, sitting at forty two percent. You know what he would say? What's that? I'm still president. That's right. Ah! The Washington Post ABC News poll also found that Americans are questioning his temperament and judgment, as well as his honesty and trustworthiness, which sits well below 50%. Yeah. Bright spots for Trump include 53% support for the idea that he's a strong leader. Additionally, 67% said the Democratic Party, in its role as the opposition party, is out of touch with Americans, while 62% said the same about the Republican Party. So they're both out of touch, is what people are trying yeah. to say. Uh, only 38% of respondents said Trump was honest. Compared, who? compared to 74% for Obama at this time and 62% for George W. Bush at this time. Hmm. 38%. Yeah. He's still president. Still president. <laughs> you know, all this stuff, he's still president. The United States will proceed with an agreement with Australia to help resettle refugees. This from Vice President Mike Pence as he pledged Saturday to join at a joint press conference with the Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull in Sydney. The arrangement requires the U.S. to accept up to 1,200 refugees, many from Iran and Syria, from their present location in offshore detention centers in Australia. In return, Australia will accept refugees from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Hmm. If you remember earlier this year, Trump reportedly yelled at the Australian Prime Minister <laughs> over the agreement to resettle the refugees. But, yeah, Trump or Pence is taking care of that. Pence is over there. It's fine. He's fixing it. It's He's got it. Deal. Not a big deal. And uh, the Ocala Star Banner in Florida, it's a newspaper, reports that Emerald Coast Wildlife Refuge Zoological Park, it's a private zoo near Crestview, Florida, mm. is looking to sell its property, including its nearly 100 exotic animals. Oh, boy. The strange part... They're selling it on Craigslist. Oh, boy. Really? Yeah. So we have people like selling their couch, and then right next to it is a zoo. You want a zoo? You want a zoo? So for $350,000, you can become the proud owner owner of 10 acres, well-maintained USDA-compliant zoo with over 90 happily and healthy, happy and healthy animals, including a white tiger, a Bengal tiger, African lion, monkeys, bobcats, baboons, wolves, otters, wow, black bear, foxes, sloths, lemurs, llamas, and more. Oh, my. The, the property's current staff of zookeepers is apparently coming along for the ride. Really? So you have to figure out how to pay them because it's not part of the deal. Well, are they, is, it, is it profit making? Is it, does it make money? Does it really go into why they're getting rid of it and closing it down? Hey, Matt, you just came into some money. I think uh, maybe you ought to buy that. There's also a gift shop with inventory, it says, a stuff-a-plush machine. Pardon? Maybe, What's a stuff-a-plush? Maybe like a Build-A-Bear sort oh, of Oh, it's like stuff-a-plush. Yeah, yeah, you make yeah, a yeah. little plush animal. A, a commissary, storage barns, and a half acre of undeveloped property in case you want to expand the animal's current living quarters. A or half even, acre? Or even build your own home right in the zoo. Wait, so you do some taxidermy? You stuff the animals from the zoo? No, you might stuff a, like a plush animal. Like you make, make you make a fake, you make a oh, toy. Oh, like a oh, like a fake animal. Like I a you're talk, I stuffed you were, animal. I thought you were advocating taxidermy. No, 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 you don't want to get into that. That's just messy. Wow. Uh, so anybody out there, if you're interested, you can buy a zoo, basically, just like in the movie. I don't, Matt Damon. I don't know that I. Yeah, I don't know that we I want a zoo. a zoo. Again, great example of a movie that spells out what the movie's about. We bought a zoo. See, that's what we need more titles, honesty and labeling. See, but it's almost you don't need to go see that movie because now they've given away the whole thing in the title. 
Yeah, but because now we didn't we we don't get to experience the suspense of whether or not they're going to actually buy it. Well, now you get to find now the suspense is whether he keeps his leg or not when he walks into the you know the leopard cage. I haven't seen the movie. Touche. Thank you. Um, tragedy. I think uh, actress Erin Moran hmm. mainstay on TV from the '60s to the '80s. Uh, Joni on Happy Days has died. Mm. Fifty-six years old. Authorities in Indiana found her body Saturday afternoon after getting a 911 call. Wait, is this Joni from Joni Loves Chachi? Yes. This is the Joni of the Joni Loves Chachi. Sad. Uh, Joni Cunningham was her name. She was, I think, one of my very first girlfriends. Mm. Like fake girlfriends. Mm -hmm. Come again? I was probably eight. Nothing fake about it. Oh, I see. So, like, it was a crush. No. No. It was a girlfriend. <sighs> he always downplays my love. Yeah, well, it was she was on TV. You never actually met her, right? No. Okay, so. So what? It, not downplaying it. I, I, I mean, realize, why do you have to meet somebody? I realize that, these emotions are real and, you know, the relationship you built in your mind or, or something that was substantial for that time yeah. of your life. But, I mean, you never actually sat down and talked to her. Well, no, I mean – I never did, but I was close to Joni and Wrong. Richie, Richie and mom and dad. Wrong. The Fonz. Then the Fonz would just drop in and stuff. You're wrong. Lived upstairs in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> I was raised on happy days. Happy days made my days happy. And sadly, we've lost Joni. Arthur Fonzarelli, Ron Howard said, such sad news. Rest in peace, Aaron. I'll always choose to remember uh, you on our show, making scenes better, getting laughs, and lighting up the TV screens. I was always confused by that show, though. Why? Why? They always went to Al's diner. Yeah. And then then at one point, it was owned by Mr. Miyagi. Well, yeah, Al had to retire. What happened to Al? And they never explained. They never explained why the name didn't change, and this other guy was there. Do you mean Pat? Marita. uh, What is his actual name? Nuriyuka or something like that? Marita? Yeah. Yeah. But you you don't – yeah, but you understand business. You want to keep Al's (laughs) because Al Al moved on. Right. And Al, they kept it because – what was his name? Who, Who bought it after Al? I don't know the name on the show. Mr. Miyagi. That's from Karate Kid. <laughs> That's right. That was his other role. And, I mean, and then the spinoff of Joni and Joni Loves Chachi in the 80s. Right. Laverne and Shirley. That was a spinoff. Yeah. I mean, Scott Baio, he's now a huge Republican, you know, draw. Right. Absolutely. He was going to be part of the Trump administration, but he had other plans. Well, and he took the name Chachi yeah. and made it huge. Hmm. No one else did what he did for the name of Chachi. To- Nobody. On that level. No, when I was growing up, Chachi meant something totally different. <laughs> and, um, but Aaron's gone. It's sad. Right. I'm just looking at pictures, so it doesn't make great radio, but. No, not really. And we're also listening to uh, Barbara Streisand's memories. It's her Be- birthday. It's her birthday today. 75. 75 years young. Because in the end, Matt, all you really have are your memories. That's a great point. Sometimes I wish we could go back to the way we were on this show. I do too. But I don't think that's possible. Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff. Mork and Mindy Mm. was a spinoff. Of Happy Days? Uh Uh-huh. All these shows came from Happy Days. Yeah. 
Okay, now how is Mork and Mindy a because spinoff? Because Mork from Ork, I think his spaceship appeared on Happy Days. His, yeah, his egg. So this is back in the day when all the shows were doing crossovers. Yeah, it was kind of a ham-fisted spinoff in the sense that it didn't really have anything to do with the one show. They just said, hey, an alien, and then they put a show together. But So maybe the jukebox from Happy Days was a, an alien spacecraft. No. No? no? It's just a jukebox. It was an egg. Why didn't the Fonz get his own show? I think the Fonz was above all of that. Is that what it was? Because okay. wasn't wasn't he wasn't Henry Winkler also a producer and oh, right, so right, he's right. like I'm not not one. I'm I'm going to just make money on all of you. Right. All right. Well, hey, I I see the uh, the brilliance in that. I guess. I mean, you remember Ralph Malf? No. You don't remember Ralph? I, of course I do. Potsy, Fonz, they're one of the greatest casts ever. Do you think this falls into our listeners' demographic? I don't care. No, I mean, do you think? I mean, think about it. Do you think our listeners are like, "Wow, Happy Days"? Yeah, I do. Or, do, or do you think there's a, a segment of them that are like, "What are you talking about?" Well, McKenna's like saying no. McKenna's never seen an wow. episode ever. She's of never seen a Happy Day in her entire life. Well, no wonder. I mean, this is this is this is for a healthier, happier generation, us older folks with bad hips. Well, again, rest in peace. That's sad, Aaron Moran. We'll take a break. Come back with Kim Giles. When we come back, we'll be talking uh, shaming your partner when it comes to marital intimacy. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's the craziest uh, topic that comes up in the coaching, whether it comes up in letters written in to our next guest on uh, on, on KSL.com, where she writes a blog or a, a post every single week. Uh, Kim Giles joins us. She is the uh, the head coach, really, at Clarity Point Coaching. If you go to ClarityPointCoaching.com, a great uh, website with all of her resources, all of her writing. Kim's on the show regularly. And today, Kim, we're talking marital intimacy. We are. Every, I mean, I get questions about it a lot. You get a lot of them. It's, you'd think that, hey, you're married. Now you can go be, you know, go have sex. You can be intimate and life will just work out perfectly, except what happens? Yeah. A lot often of it doesn't happen. Yeah. Right? Because there's a lot of expectations around it. There's a history around it. There's a lot of beliefs. And that, shame and shame and guilt. Our heads, performance anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to address some of these things and do so, of course, you know, respectfully. But we don't want to pretend like none of this is a real issue. Yeah, it's actually a real issue with almost everybody. I'm shocked, Matt, because my column on KSL, it's an advice column. Yeah. Right? So people are writing in every week with their relationship issues. This is my number one most asked question. Is it really? I get numerous emails every week from people, and it's not all men. It's women, too, saying my spouse has no libido, is not interested. How do I – have that wonderful, beautiful part of our marriage happen when my spouse isn't interested. And the the numbers, I guess, are very telling, but that's probably only a small portion of those that are suffering it anyway. Right. And then there's so many different issues because I I used to advise people, you can do more to ruin your intimacy and sex life on your honeymoon than you can in one day, really, than you can do – than you can fix in a lifetime if you're not 
careful, if you're not attentive. There's so much that goes into this, more so than just, you know, the sex. There's so much psychology, history, and expectation. That is interesting. And there's not a lot of help before a wedding. I mean, if, if one's parents aren't comfortable having conversations about that, Unless you picked up something from your friends, where are they getting any information to make sure that honeymoon ends up a positive experience? The locker room. But I guess this is the other thing is most or a lot of the world would assume that you've just been intimate before. You've had sex before you got married. But there are many, many people that that don't want to do that. They're they're that saving wait. themselves. Yeah. They're waiting to be married. And But in, in a lot of those cultures, it's also not appropriate to talk about – to explore, to actually, to to educate very effectively either. So you have a lot of people that don't know how it should all be, what it should be like, what's expected. So how do we sort through all of this and create happiness? Oh, okay. So this is gonna this is a complicated topic. Yeah. Um, first of all, let's let's talk for a minute about the shame that a lot of us experience growing up around sexuality at all. Yeah. I mean, I know as a girl. I was always told, you know, dress modest, don't don't appear to be a sexual being in yeah. any way right. or you're you're bad and wrong. In fact, you might believe being sexual is bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's, it's dirty. Just, it's a sin. God doesn't want it to happen. Yet he's fine with it happening. It's married couples, healthy in love couples in, that are that are married and yet why would we be ashamed thinking I guess it's just we're not completely communicating. But you can't switch gears that fast. I mean, I think I was so ill-prepared for a honeymoon. Yeah. And here my whole life it had been bad and wrong and don't think about it, don't know about it. And then on one day later, I'm expected to not only know about it, be comfortable with Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You know, and and it just doesn't happen like that. We can't switch gears that way without some help. So right? <laughs> and so we look at how we set them up. We we set it up, if you're not careful, for it to still be dirty, for it to still be wrong, for it to still be misunderstood, plus maybe painful, plus maybe inexperienced, and no one should really be good at it. Yeah. And yet and yet there's supposed to be this beautiful honeymoon. Ah. Yeah, Matt, I have to tell you a funny story. Um, my parents gave me a, a suitcase to take on my honeymoon. And when I got to the hotel room my wedding night, I realized it had a combination lock on it, and I didn't know the combination. (laughs) And so I had to call home. And my dad answered the phone, and I said, oh, dad, I need some help. Can you – and he just cut me off. Oh, no, 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 no. From this point on, you're on your own. (laughs) And he hung up on me. Literally hooking up on me. I have not answered any <laughs> questions tonight. Dad, no, no, no. I need the combo. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Seriously, that funny? I had to call back a second time. and like, it's not that. Oh, my heavens. But the yeah. time for advice would have been way in advance. No, I, I used to um, be a lay leader for young, single, adult LDS people. So – and I'd, I'd basically be their leader that helps them, you know, get married, like be there at the stage of life when they're getting married. Yeah. And I remember getting a call the night before a guy was getting married and he calls me absolutely terrified. And he's like – because we had discussed intimacy and, and sex and he – but he was telling me his parents were probably going to sit him down and have this conversation. And, and I'm like, well, if not, let me know. I'll help you. But yeah. So the night before he calls me and – He's just desperate because he has no idea how what's going to happen the next day. 
Yeah. And so we sat down. I'll never forget it. We took him. <laughs> I took him to my – he came over to my house. We went because my family was all home because it was late at night. And so we went down to my kid's playroom and sat in a, these little chairs in a playroom. And wow. I explained how this all works. And it was – in my head, I'm thinking, parents – You've yeah. got to talk to your kids. That's you can't the set them up thing. for this. And and if you're really uncomfortable having those kind of conversations, yeah. then you need to get some help to work on oh, yeah. your issues around sex or sexuality so you feel comfortable enough to do that. Totally Please, true. parents, set your kids up. Because there are there are doctors that will help. My father and mother in law were doctors and nurses, so they I, I'll never forget that conversation. They sat us down and really? had it with us. Plus, we went to an OBGYN that was a family friend that had the conversation with us. Plus, Linda and Richard Iyer, had been, we'd been going to classes with them, <laughs> and they had the conversation. And then another church leader had had a conversation with us. Wow, so, you got a lot more preparation yeah, than I did. Totally. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel bad for you. That's, that's, a, yeah. that's a, it's kind of a scary thing. So we're, we're talking about helping people get started right. But what about the folks that have been married for 30 years right. and it's still – not a, a a good part of their relationship. Yeah. It ends up being a place of stress, pressure, conflict, you know, a lot of fear of loss. Well, and, and rejection. rejection. You may feel constantly rejected or shamed. Absolutely. Because, like, you want – I want intimacy and yet you seem disgusted by it because, like, you're committing a major sin even though we're married. So how do we handle those people? Okay, so we're I've got a bunch of steps because this is not a simple fix, no, no, right? No. I can't tell you one thing that's going to just snap my fingers and and help with this. Recognizing what the issues are, I think is key. And there are let's talk about shame first. There's shame issues on both sides. We've got women who were taught their whole life not to be a sexual being yeah. at all. And and I can remember somebody buying me lingerie, and I'm like, you got to be kidding. I'm not wearing that <laughs> That is stuff. dirty. Yeah. That's dirty, yeah. So the women need to do some work now uh, on their sexuality and being comfortable with it. And that takes a commitment level to want to get there. And one of the roadblocks I'm seeing with a lot of couples is women who don't even want to do that work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, I shouldn't They're not have even to. interested in it. Yeah. So if you're committed to making this relationship work, guys – Intimacy is part of a healthy relationship. You can't have a healthy relationship without it. I I equate it to communication. So intimacy is – it's just like communication. You you couldn't imagine your husband saying, "Okay, I'm not talking to you. I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah, you can't have a relationship without that. Not going to do it. And to me, that is the equivalent of what – because intimacy is communication and it is it is validation and it is unification and and so you so, got to be able to talk and you got to be able to want to get better at intimacy. Yeah, and I know um we've got women who just are not into it because maybe it hasn't been that positive of an experience. Right. Maybe it's been a place where you felt fear of failure and mm-hmm. disappointment and and didn't feel like you you do well in the, that zone. Yeah. So it's a it's a place of failure and stress. Yeah. I hear from a lot of women it's just one more chore. Yeah. Really, it's just a chore yeah. I have to do. It's so, so true. by the way, that is the every one of those thoughts are the exact same thoughts a lot of men have about communication. Ooh, it's you're a chore. right. It's a chore. And I you know what? I'm not good at it. And no matter what, I'm going to be the bad guy cuz I don't know how to do it. Wow. And I'm not and I feel inferior and you might be better prepared to do it. 
and it makes me vulnerable and I don't want to go where I'm vulnerable. So I'm not going to talk to you. Oh my gosh, it's exactly the weird? same. It's crazy. Yeah, so it's exactly so seeing it in that, but that's why, but we both have to step up. We have to step up and say, no, I'm willing to Learn deal to with my insecurities. That's right. Willing, yeah, absolutely. You know, one other shame issue that I think I'm hearing a lot yeah. is coming into the picture because there's so much talk now about pornography and sex trafficking and all of this. Oh, yeah. And it's driven by the male desire for sex, yeah, right? constant desire. So I'm hearing from a lot of men that my wife sees me as a pervert at this point if I have any desire to be with her. Right. And that's not fair and right. There shouldn't be shame around the natural desire to want right. connection with the person I love. Right. So we've got to be careful on both sides of the shame issues that can be brought into it. And as soon as sex becomes shameful, it's full of fear. It's not healthy and it's not going to be a positive experience. And especially like as soon as you're like, well... You know the Joneses, they're, they're doing – everyone wants to know the numbers. Like <laughs> Joneses are having intimacy this many times. And, and, but so the minute you're, you're doing any comparison uh, – You're making it a transactional uh-huh. kind of thing. And you're starting and... to – you're almost starting the shame. Like, Absolutely. I'm trying to guilt you into wanting to do this more. So when we come back from the yeah. break, let's get into ways to change your mindset around it so it's not a chore. It doesn't have shame around Great. it, and it can be a positive thing for Kim you. Giles is her name. Go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com, a wonderful resource uh, with the tagline, Simple Psychology, Coaching That Works. Interesting stuff. Stick with us. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion about marital intimacy. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles joins us. She is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching, popular life coach, author, and speaker, as well as one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country, and uh, has been uh, writing an article on marital intimacy and kind of the shame around it, that some people feel shamed um, and they tend to shame others um, when it comes to marital intimacy. And it's a major, major hot point for the people you are you're writing to the the, right. the blog or the the column uh, the advice column you have yeah and, and you know Matt every time I'm on the show we talk about fear and love and and they can't exist in the same place so if you've got an intimate relationship that's got fear all over it fear of failure shame conflict feeling taken from all of that fear energy around it there's no love in yeah. it no, it's not. It's not longer about love at all. So those are some of the things that we've got to change around that mindset. Now, I do before we get into some of the ways you can change your mindset, I have to throw in that there are a lot of physiological reasons totally. that people can have low libido. So we do always recommend you talk to your doctor. Make sure there's no medication or hormone issues in play that can affect that because yeah. it could be a physiological. Oh, there's cause. so many, and and then and even psychological that leads to physiological or vice versa. It could just be right. your body image issues. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just how you feel about your body. Well, I, honestly, don't you think that's a 
That's a, a big part, part for a lot of people. Yeah. So you may need to do some serious self-esteem work, and that yeah. may require working with a professional coach or counselor, someone who can help you change the way you feel about yourself. Because for intimacy to be successful, we have to be comfortable enough to be vulnerable. Right, exactly. It is the most vulnerable space we can get in. That's right. Oh, yeah. Right? So you've got to feel safe with your spouse. You just have to feel safe about yourself and your own value and who you are. And that is hard to do on your own at home by yourself. Totally. You may really need to to get some – outside help. And you and I have talked many times that people wait until they're on the verge of divorce before <laughs> yeah. they get help, where if you got help right at the beginning and you're learning better ways to make this work, boy, you're going to save a lot of time and money, right? Totally. Totally. So how do we change this mindset? Okay. So one thing we want to be really careful of is expectations. Anytime you go into even, you know, what's going to happen tonight with my spouse, if you've got expectations about what that's going to look like, and that means if it doesn't look that way, you're going to be disappointed, that's a problem. That's that's going to set you up. It's setting you up, and and chances are very good. It's never going to meet your expectations. It's never going to look like it does in the movies and, and on TV, right? Right. So we have to go into it, letting it be whatever it is tonight and being... Okay with that and just enjoying time to connect and be together. There's no success or failure in it. And and I think that's huge that we let go right. of all those, those expectations. Well, and, and part of it too is – and making sure that – because you, you have so much pain that you start negatively interpreting, oh, so – because when you say no expectation, okay, great, because that could go for six weeks of you never having an expectation of intimacy. <laughs> but the guy that wants intimacy is like, no, 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 there should be – Well, okay, we could so expect it's not a little, the expectation yeah, of intimacy manage. itself. It's that when you're there when you're and in being it, together – How it will come out, yeah. Right. Um, as, and we'll get to the how often thing totally. in, in well, a and second. Because that, that's the – do you not get that question a lot? How uh, What's normal? What's And I'm always like, it's – And some – People it's think subjective. what's normal right. is a lot more than what other That's people right. think is exactly. what's normal. Yeah. So the expectation is that we're just going to be present, we're going to be together, and it will go where it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I think one of the biggest mindset shifts that would make a difference, um, years ago someone said to me, if you had a chance to go get a massage, a professional massage every night before bed, would you be up for that? Would, would that hmm. interest you? And, oh, absolutely. Every time, yeah. Yeah, for sure I'd be into that. But I'm not really interested in being with my spouse because that feels like a chore. Yeah, that's going to have to go somewhere. It's like a mandate. Yeah, and and if it's got a goal in it and it's got to look like this for it to be successful, then yeah. it's not relaxing and, and fun. And I had someone say to me, you need to bring that same mindset that you have about getting a massage over to being with your spouse, that this is just about relaxing and connecting and feeling good. And there's no expectation attached to it. But it's just – it's about filling each other up with love and and validation. Right. And so good. We'd go into it with a total different mindset. Now, that may require a conversation with your spouse – about what it needs to look like for you to have that mindset around it and see it as a wonderful break yeah. uh, in, instead of a chore. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, the right? idea that the minute it's become a chore, nobody wants it. Yeah, nobody wants the chore. <laughs> nobody wants, yeah, and nobody wants the pity or the, we want it to be a mutually connected event. So somehow you have to lead it with this idea that it's just, it's going to be mutually beneficial. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Now, another mindset shift. A lot of us are much more comfortable in the giving space than the receiving space. Yeah. And I hear this a lot with women. Um, I'm just a giver. I can give all day. But actually trying to receive love yeah. from my spouse in that way is really hard. So for a lot of my clients, we have to get in a more receiving attitude outside of the bedroom, everywhere in your life, that you deserve to receive. Yeah. And maybe that looks like asking your neighbor to watch your kids so that you can go do something fun for yourself right. and not feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Because that's receiving yeah. that I deserve to be given to, right? It's so true. When people pay you compliments, do you deflect them immediately or do you yeah, receive yeah, yeah, them? Yeah, exactly. Do you give yourself say, Thank permission you. Thank to you. receive? That's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm funny about people spending money on me. I'm much more comfortable to pick up the check yeah. and be the one who's paying the money. That feels comfortable. But letting someone buy that's for me. totally weird. Yeah, but if you've got issues around receiving, they're going to show up in your intimate relationship. Absolutely. And a beautiful part of it is you getting in the massage mindset and letting your spouse give to you mm-hmm. and practicing that receiving. It's great. And enjoying it and just and being able to just be in the moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, so many present. just can't be present because you're worried about the next carpool. <laughs> you're worried about <laughs> the rest of the day or what's due tomorrow or are the kids in bed? Is the door locked? Yeah. Okay, so another exercise that you could do outside the bedroom that might help you with that is learn to do some meditation. Because meditation is really the skill of learning to quiet your mind and be fully present. Mm. Now, I learned a form of meditation. Um, you remember I yeah. went to that meditation you went to the camp. for 10 yeah. days. But they teach you a form of med- meditation where you sit and feel the little sensations that go on on your face or on your hands. And you could spend an hour sitting there feeling the little tickles on your scalp and your face. And mm. it's a form of meditation, but it gets you used to being really present. In the moment, huh? Yeah, really present. So yeah. that kind of exercise can help folks. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, now, another option on my website in my Clarity Point store is a subconscious reprogramming exercise that f- that people can download, um, record onto their phone and listen to that brings all of these different ideas about sex being a beautiful, wonderful part of your relationship. And the more you listen to that, it actually changes some of those subconscious programs that are in play. So great. So if you know this is an issue for you, visit claritypointcoaching.com and let us get you some help. And one of the things we're going to do, I'm going to have us do, Kim, um, because we don't have time to to take tackle it all today, but we've gotten into the mindset. I want to have you, when you come back next time, let's let's go in again, deeper on the topic. Okay. And then we'll get into like, how do you manage expectations? How do I eliminate the the feeling of disappointment in others? How do we partner and have a conversation on this? So we will continue this discussion. Um, with Kim next time, which is in two weeks. Two weeks. And if you're listening to this on podcast, you can just easily (laughs) jump ahead, right? Great. Kim, thank you so much. Again, go to claritypointcoaching.com. And again, you can when you're there, you can go find all of her writings, all of her resources, tons of tools there as well. You can also look her up on ksl.com and go get all of, you know, make sure you're on the the, the Q&A board because you're going to want to read all the comments as well. It just is a crazy conversation going on right now. Stick with us. When we come back, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be here. We're talking uh, sports up next. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, it's time to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Jerem Jordan and Brian Logan. Hello, gentlemen. Matt Townsend, what's up? What's up? How are you guys doing? I miss you. Gucci, as Brian says. Gucci, yep. Ooh. (laughs) Excellent. Hey, as I was sitting here um, eating my granola bar, um, looking out the window of my studio, this incredibly good-looking guy walks by, Jerem Jordan. Mm-hmm. To uh, in, what a privilege to, to tell me that yeah. Brian's on the show. Yeah, I appreciate we the warning. We couldn't hear each other, so I was mouthing to yeah. you. It's me and, and Brian. Brian. Yeah, I got that. Today. Who? Short dude. The Brian Short Logan. Dude. No, the Brian. hot, the hot, the ripped Brian Logan. Hey, yeah, I appreciate. Brian it. is ripped, man. He's totally ripped. He reminds like, me of me. I work out and lift weights. I'm like, oh, Brian. So Hold on, wait a minute. Me. You know, you want to know the real secret right here? So, Matt, you're not gonna be able to see this. What? because you're yeah, yeah, up there. We're down here. I'm eating these, some candy. It's called rips. Oh, are you really? That's, that's how, how you get. That's ri- how I get ripped. Ripped. Is that ripped. all you have to do? Is eat rips? Yep. Wow. Rips. Are they like chips? The... Yeah. They're they're kind of like, there are like no steroids in those, right? No. 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 <laughs> okay. No. Just check. No. Not at all. You I are... mean, maybe look at the look at the look at the little character. Look at the little guy. He the looks ripped. Well, no, but looks look like though. a missionary. He, he has, has a name tag. Yeah, he has a, he has a name tag. He has. A, he's like a scientist. They're called rips, huh? I've never even heard of them. Yeah, hey, most people take have one it. up to Matt after. Let's go yeah. visit Matt after. The show. You guys ought to come hang out with me. Yeah. Hey, question for you guys. This is going to sound. Uh, do you, were either of you familiar with Happy Days? A little bit, the, like the, an, like enough. I think I just know. This I'm song. in my 30s, so oh, see, you but, but you really, I've been to Milwaukee and I saw the bronze fonts. There's the statue. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. The bronze fonts. It's it's on the riverfront. But now, Brian, you weren't you weren't familiar with Happy Days and Fonzie and Potsy? Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Not, that's like an older show, right? TV yeah. show. Oh, it's a it's a lot older. Oh, it's old. Yeah, like like when you still had to like move like antennas and put like foil oh yeah on, yeah on, on, on uh-huh. to get clear pictures. When you had little okay, rabbit right ears like, that you had to move. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm not going to bring it up. I mean, uh, Joni uh, Joni died. Joni, which was Joni loves Chachi, mm-hmm. and uh, you know she's out. She's gone. She's died. She's passed away. But again, well, what, you know, whatever. So it's not even worth bringing it up anymore. Hey, um, so <laughs> your show, you, you know, you're still going to do your show, right? I mean, We're with, doing the show today, yeah. But with Brian Spence there. Is gone, so it's on. So so it, it's going to get crazy because usually Brian We're going to take it up a notch. It's yeah. going to get so cray. Cray cray. Yeah. So what's on the next 3 days? He's out. He's, is he really? He's chilling like a bill. Yeah. Man, how would it be? How would yeah. it be? He's out, what, out of town. Yeah, it must be nice, huh? What's uh, yeah, totally. What's on the show today? Today is a fun day. We're going to talk about where you want Jamal Williams to be drafted this week. Mm. The NFL draft starts Thursday. Jamal Williams likely a, a pick on Friday or Saturday. What team do you want to draft him? Plus, his always entertaining mom. Yes. Nicole. His, his, his mom? Yeah. His yep, mom. Yeah, his mom. You're going to interview mom. his mom. Yep. She, his mom. Nicole, you got Not your mom. If you, if you have... <laughs> <laughs> My mom's going to be on the show. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Nicole Williams. Nicole, is, yeah, she's. You call uh, her the queen of swag. Queen of swag, right? yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> Jamal, you know, says that he is, you know, the J, just J swag daddy, right? So, I mean, where does that swag come from? You know, it comes from somewhere. Ah. So, you know, you got to give credit to the family and uh, more so Nicole, who's heavily involved in his life, obviously, and uh, great influence over him. So, yeah, she's the, the queen swag. She's so like she, the first mom of BYU sports, if you yeah, will. Oh, they're going to miss very her. famous. Like, yeah. she's on our pregame That's probably a better, a better yeah. title for her. The first instead mom. Of, instead, of, instead of the queen of swag. Yeah. Yeah, so she mom. wears all everything that's branded BYU with Jamal's she's number. Oh, no, you don't, she, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, 
blue <laughs> lipstick. Yeah, she'll seriously. Have, like, she'll get, when she gets her nails done, Are she'll you get like the, like the Y logo. Oh, yeah. She, she ran track way. at UCLA, too. Did She's she an really? Athlete. And yeah. her other, uh, her daughter, so Jamal's sister, the yeah. two siblings, she runs track at UNLV. So this is an athletic family. Yeah. I mean, That's they're cool. legit. Plus, Super cool. we'll have Alex White from the women's golf team. She won the individual West Coast Conference championship. BYU won as a team, men and women. She's bringing the trophy into Studio B. And we'll uh, talk about the men's volleyball team. They are in the NCAA tournament. They got an at-large bid. They are in. Who do they play? When do they play? What's the route to the title look like for the Cougars? Wow! <laughs> Holy That's pretty cow. good, man. That was really good. That was the weirdest bro. leopard. You've been practicing, bro. <laughs> that wasn't even a cougar. That was a leopard. It was a leopard. <laughs> the jaguar. It was a jaguar. I would say it was a, a baby cougar going through puberty, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a prepubescent <laughs> baby hey, cougar. Hey, hey. What? <laughs> and somebody stepped on it. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it is. Hey, um, okay, so it's going to be a great show. I can already tell. And Brian, make sure you keep your hands in the ride at all times. In the right. Oh, do yeah. Not, do I not reach out. Seat on, People get hurt reaching out on this show. <laughs> don't well, we want don't you reach out. to reach out to us on Twitter. Use hashtag BYUSN. <laughs> wow. A pure professional. <laughs> nice. Now there that again. was an adult. Yes. Cougar. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, have a nice show. Never. Mm-hmm. Cougar's tale, man. Ooh, what was that about a cougar's tale? <laughs> Never what? You Never know. Ste- okay. Never step, you know. Never step. Never step on a cougar's tale. Absolutely. Never step. Uh, those old ladies hate that. Okay, we'll take a break. Oh, no, we're not taking a break. See you guys. Have a great show. Okay, Knock them dead. Figure it out. Never step on a cougar's tail. That's great advice. Uh, great stuff. Hey, um, <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? Okay, so let me, let me ask you a question here, Jeffrey. If you found $14,000 on the side of the road and you were not able to invoke Fargo, the show, what uh, what would you do with fourteen grand that you found? Nobody knew you found it, but you found fourteen thousand dollars on the side of the road. I've seen enough movies to know that if there's that kind of money just sitting in a, on the side of the road or in a suitcase, somebody's going to come looking for it. Okay, but they so won't I don't know. want I don't want to have anything to do with it. So you would you wouldn't I touch would turn it. it in? You turn it in. That's what this guy did in Ohio. An Ohio man said he was trying to set a good example for his children when he turned in fourteen thousand dollars that he found on the side of the road. Jake Bowers is his name. Found the money April eighth as he drove his family to a park in Worthington, which is a Columbus suburb. Bowers said when he initially saw the bag on the roadside, he thought it might contain someone's laptop. Instead, it was filled with $100 bills. Bowers took the bag to the Worthington police station, and it was returned to its owner. That's pretty cool. A police report says the owner had taken the cash to a car dealer but left without buying a vehicle. He told police he must have left it on the top of his car and driven off. That was the story that he gave the police. Yeah. You're thinking that there was something, you know, something illegal involved. I've seen enough movies to know that that's probably not the truth. Well, but maybe the truth is he was really just buying a car. Are we playing the benefit of a doubt game again? Well, you you gave the benefit of the doubt to the Easter Bunny guy that went in and used an air horn. Yeah, but that's not the type of person that has $14,000 in cash. But is it not possible he was just buying a car? I mean, that could be possible. I will concede it is possible. Okay. Just not plausible. Uh, an escaped rooster and geese caused mayhem inside a computer shop after leaping from a shopper's suitcase. A rooster and two geese caused mayhem in the store. Uh, listen to this. The shopper walked into the shop in Russia with a suitcase containing a chicken and two geese. 
But the man shocked fellow customers when the rooster escaped, and he rampaged the store, uh, and the guy was running around after it, chasing it. The bizarre sight was compared to something out of a Harry Potter spinoff film, Fantastic Beasts. You know. So it turned into just chaos. The unidentified man finally caught the chickens and carries them, put them back into his bag. By the way, the closed-circuit television footage shows the man kneeling down in front of an old-fashioned suitcase as the rooster hops out in the city of Omsk. So how do you say that? That was uh, – I. so I lived near Omsk. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Omsk. See, I would have rather have watched this security video than see uh, Fantastic Beasts again. Would you really? You didn't like oh, yeah. that one? Mm, no. Okay. Well, don't hate. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why a guy was carrying a rooster and a goose in his suitcase. but some, I think something shady was going on some, there, too. No, something's definitely shady right there. Anyway, our hero story of the day, a Kinston teen saves an infant from a house fire. In North Carolina, a teenager is being called a hero by the family members and firefighters after he rushed into a burning home to save his infant cousin. According to Captain William Bars of the Kinston Fire Department, Jerain Rosfragus, Gray, 17, was outside of the family member's house shortly after noon when a fire started inside the residence. The family said they were outside and they smelled what they thought was fish fry and they thought the neighbors were cooking. Turned out, though, their house and smoke was coming from their house, and their house was on fire. Most of the family was reportedly outside of the home cleaning up when the fire started, um, but an eight-month-old baby was inside napping. Wearing nothing but a pair of basketball shorts and tennis shoes, Gray ran through the back door of the home to grab his sleeping cousin. According to reports, after he picked the infant up, Gray found the back door was blocked by smoke and fire, and he was forced to run out the front door to escape the fire. Both boys were examined by emergency medical services and are okay with no reported injuries or smoke inhalation. So the family thanks him. We thank him. He's the hero of the day. That's it. Jerrane Gray. You did it, my friend. And that's what it takes to be a hero. Sometimes not thinking of yourself. You don't always have to rush into a fire. Sometimes you just have to go home and be the parent and for your kids. Um, that's the show, my friends. We're here every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern Time. Or pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Go to BYURadio.org. We're everywhere, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until uh, tomorrow, make it a great one, and let's look after each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.